What's up, guys? If you're on Spotify right now, please follow the show so that you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review. Thank you. So what ends up happening is Wilson comes up to me and says, you're not going to believe this. They just indicted my ex-wife, my brother, and they indicted me. And I went, (gasps) (laughs) you're kidding. No, Ron, say it ain't so. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, get the f*** out of here. He's like, yeah. I was like, for what? He's like, for, you know, for the the Ponzi. I told you the Ponzi scheme. I said, no, I found the Ponzi scheme. Yeah, yeah. He said, they brought my wife in there and she denied it. The first day she called, she said, I don't know what you're talking about. She denied it. And the next morning she came back and she gave him $350,000 and... (laughs) So I'm walking around the prison compound and... Um, there was an old guy named Ron Wilson. Ron Wilson stole 57 million. There's articles that say he stole like, it's like a hundred, hundred million dollars, but really the loss was 57 million, right? Cause it's a Ponzi scheme. You know, they'll jack up how much he's supposed to have made right. and got back, but it, it ends up being 57 million. So, and most of that money was taken from like pension funds, retirees, um, churches, you know, mm. uh, and, and so he was an old con man, right? And this is going to sound horrible, but I liked Ron Wilson. You know, I liked him. He was super gruff, real um, uh, an uh, uh, abrasive personality. You don't say. In prison? R- in, no, no, outside of prison. In prison, he was probably softer. Mm. But he was a harsh, harsh guy. But I really – I did like him. So I don't want to sit here and say, oh, I didn't like the guy. I'm not going to lie. I liked him. That's Ron Wilson. Hmm. Um, I see what you're saying. City councilman, too, by the way. Um, God damn, something about he, these fucking Florida course, he, city councilmen. No, no, this was this was uh, South Carolina. He was also the president of the Sons of the Confederacy. Oh, so in prison now. That's not a good look for him. Um, Depends where you are, I guess, right? Because they run in they run in clans over there. No pun he's intended. He's a nice guy. Anyway, he's <laughs> not. <laughs> give a little damage, man. So twenty years. He got yeah. He got like nineteen and a half years. It says twenty. We got nineteen and a half. So sure you um, sentences. He's out by now. He's out already. So what happens is this. Amadeo got him out. No. Okay. So what happens is, I see him. I I start I we start talking. You know, we're two con men in prison. We shoot the shit. He kind of reminds me of my dad, right? I like him. He's he's a nice guy. We walk around. We're always hanging out, talking. He knows. Keep in mind, I come back. I got seven years knocked off my sentence. Like, if you didn't know I was a snitch before, I just went back to federal prison, got seven years knocked when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Off my sentence and showed back up in prison. <laughs> it's everywhere. Right. 
If you haven't checked out Matt's previous episodes on the podcast, episode 96 and 111, they are hilarious. So after this one, if you want to check those out, they are in the links to them are in the description below on the episode. I'm talking to Wilson. Wilson has just gotten to prison and Wilson, by the way, is cooperating in his case. He's cooperating against several of his um, of the financial advisors in his case. Mm. And he keeps telling me they're never going to reduce my sentence. And I'm like, why wouldn't they? He goes, because they think I hid Ponzi scheme, some of the Ponzi scheme money. And I'm like, well, they would have to prove that. Did you? And he goes, no. And I went, okay. Then <laughs> Good enough you, for me. <laughs> I said, then you didn't. I said, they would have to prove that. They'd have to find the money, and then they could withhold that. And if not, I said, we'll have Amadeo file a motion. We'll get it for you, bro. You're going to be all right. We keep going around and going, he mentions it again. He mentioned it. This is for three months. He mentions it every week or two. Oh, they're never, I'm never going to get nothing. I'm like, you'll be fine. You've already done whatever, a year or two. They'll reduce it this much, this much. Boom, boom, boom. You'll be out of here in like six or seven, you know, five, six years, whatever. You'll be in a halfway house in a year. You'll be fine. You've probably got five years left. That's what you're really looking at. And you're also kind of giving them hope, right? So we're walking around and he mentions it again one day. Ah, they're never going to give me that. And I go, you know, keep saying that. He's, well, they think I hid Ponzi scheme money. And I'm like, you know, you keep saying that. And, and I said, I said, why do you keep saying that? And he goes, can I trust you? <laughs> and I went, probably not. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, I did, I did put away some money. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I, actually, and, and, and here's, <laughs> this is how fucked up I am. <laughs> My first thought was because, and I said, "Really?" I said, "You said you didn't." He said, ah, "I know, but can I, I start did. my tape recorder real fast?" Come no. on. <laughs> he said, "He goes, yeah, I know, but I did." He said, um, "I gave my my wife one hundred fifty thousand dollars to hold." He said, "You know," he said, "The problem is, is that she now knows she's found out that I was having an affair, Ooh. and my fear is she's just going to turn it in to make sure I don't get anything off my sentence." His wife was a, according to him, really, and I, I believe him, a very, very vicious woman. Mm. So, and I knew his life inside and out. So, and I knew about the girl, the woman he was having an affair with. She was one of the financial advisors that worked for, underneath him or with him. So, underneath, I'm, more likely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, okay, okay. And uh, so we're walking. He goes, I also gave my brother about 30 grand. I was like, all right. And so we're walking. Um, and I said, still, they'd have to turn the money in. And they're not going to. He's like, I think they will. I said, well, you hope they just hope that they won't. Hopefully they don't. You know, and he was like, well, yeah, you're right, you're right. So I remember my first thought when he had said that, the 150, I thought, is that enough? Is that enough to get me a reduction? Because my thought was, they didn't want to give me a reduction the first time. They wanted 30 months off my sentence. I got seven years. They're not going to give anything, me anything ever again. This is it. I'm doing – like I had – I was resolved to – you're just going to – you're going to write your story. You're going to write your little true crime stories. You're going to publish some books. You're going to get a whole bunch of books out there, and that will be some residual income when you get out, and that's what you're going to do the rest of your life, and, and, and that's okay. That's a good life. But then he said this, and I thought, yeah, that's that's not enough. <laughs> so I said, yeah, it's not enough. They're not going to do anything. And I go and I lay down. 
And I'm telling you, a month went by. And I was waiting. Keep in mind, I just got back a, a month or so later, a few months. My my lawyer was supposed to send me my sentencing transcripts because I wanted to add some of the stuff at the back of the you know of my memoir. I hadn't published it. I just had a manuscript. So I wanted my sentencing transcripts, and she hadn't sent it. So I called her one day. I said, hey, listen, by the way, here's what's going on. Or I, I need my sentencing transcripts. And she's like, oh, God, Matt, I'm so sorry. I was going to do that. Uh, okay, okay. She said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You got to write me a check. Uh, it's for this much. It's $100. Okay, okay. I'll have somebody write you a check. And she goes, anything else going on? And I went, like what? And she goes, this is a woman who never wanted to talk to me. They don't want to speak. I don't know what her deal was that day. But she was like, anything else happening? I was like, no. She goes, nothing going on in there? You want to talk about it? And I went, no. I said, okay, you know what? Listen to this. This is weird. And I told her, there's a guy named Ron Wilson. And she's, hold on, let me pull his name up. <laughs> who is it? She goes, ooh, this is a bad guy. This guy stole a lot of money. Mm. And she goes, and I was like, right? She, and I said, well, so he, here's what he told me. And I told her. And I said, but I don't think that's enough for them to do anything. And, and that's not good. They're just going to take the money. They're not going to indict these people, right? Like this is, these are people that just are holding money. They're not going to, she says, oh, you never know. She says, let me look into it. I said, all right, hang up the phone. Probably a week later, I get a, a CEO sees me one day and he comes up and he goes, Cox. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, You got to go to SIS at the move because, you know, they have moves, controlled movements, right? They unlock the door. You can go for five or ten minutes. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't think anything of it because I ordered so many Freedom of Information Acts. I was always going down to SIS because they were always catching a Freedom of Information Act. He's looking at you weird. He is, but they would always – they don't know what I'm going there. So they always think it's something, you know, something uh, nefarious. Right. They always think you're cooperating. You're telling them something. And so every time they go, you got to go down there. And I go come back with a bunch of – Freedom of Information Act that I'd ordered on you, and they didn't want to give it to me until I said, no, it's for a story, and they'd give it to me. And they're still not supposed to give it to me, but they, they would because they knew I was writing stories. So I go down there, and I walk in. I knock on the door. I go, hey, man, they told me to come down here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one cop I never talked to, total fucking asshole, um, is like, come, come in here, Cox. <laughs> I'm walking. I'm like, fuck, now I'm worried. Sit down. Fuck. <laughs> I sit down. And he goes, hold on a second. Dials a number. Here. You got to talk to this guy. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on? And I grab the phone. Keep in mind, there's been a lot of stuff with the Freedom of Information Act. Like I've had times where they wouldn't give it to me, times where where homicide detectives were calling them and asking who I was and what I was. So I didn't really know. As soon as I got it and the guy goes, this is agent um, like Scott Griffin from the Secret Service, from the you know, South Carolina Secret Service. I understand you know where – Ron Wilson has hid Ponzi scheme money. And I thought, ooh, damn. Yeah. And I it's going to cost you. And I said, nah, bro. I said, I can't just be telling you. I'm just going to just tell you. I said, I need something in writing. And he, I said, and by the way, it's not a lot of money. It's not millions. And he goes, well, how much is it? I said, look, I, I'm not going to tell you exactly. But I do know something. Maybe it'll help. But I want a letter from the U.S. attorney saying they will consider, they will give me something if I get you money back. I said, I don't even no, – no indictment, just money. And he goes, okay, well, let me look into it. He gives me his his email address, and I put him on my core links, and I write him. He actually oh, – about a month later, I get a letter from the e- – an email from the U.S. attorney saying, if we – if we recover uh, – if there's indictments, 
indictments, arrests, or we recover a substantial amount of money, we will consider it substantial assistance. But that's the best I'm going to get. Like, it's mm. like you accept this and work with us or go fuck yourself and do your time. Like, right. what does it matter? So I start emailing back and forth with them and they're writing me saying, ask Wilson this, ask Wilson this. So we start war walking around and periodically I would ask him something, but it's not easy to, you can't just say, you know, hey, did Jimmy ever, <laughs> you know, you have to slowly, you, you mention it and if he comes around, he comes around and if not, then he, you know, and they're always pushy. Well, you need to figure out, find out this. I'm like, listen, bro. Got to play this smooth. I got to play this smooth and I'm in fucking prison as a snitch already. Like, th- believe it, I know it, it's, a, it's a low, but people are getting stabbed. People are getting mm-hmm. beat up. But people that are, those things are happening to typically have it coming. Like, they've, they ran up a $500 debt and then told the guy to go fuck off and just right. didn't pay him. Yep. So that guy's got to do something to him. Yep. I'm not really bothering anybody. How often did guys, like, when they got stabbed and shit, like, actually die in there? No, almost when you never, were there? Never. Almost never. No. They just stab them up a little bit. That's a, a phrase bit. I heard. Little, yeah, little yeah. pain. Little, little bit. Little just, pain. That's a phrase. Don't hit the liver. Yeah. Yep. yeah. First time I heard someone got stabbed, I was Make like, someone, someone, someone died? <laughs> and he was like, nah, he just stabbed him up a little bit. When someone says some stabbed him up a little red. bit, yeah. that's it's not warm normal. And, warm and red. No, it's not normal. So, um, yeah, so that's what – so basically I'm walking around. I mention this. I mention that. I say this. I say this. And by the way, I keep at, telling the, the Secret Service, I keep throwing in stuff like – do you feel like this is substantially in <laughs> furthering your investigation? Absolutely, it's substantially furthering our investigation. I feel that – so I'm, I'm really doing – so I've got a bunch of emails. Um, so finally one day – you know, and, and, and what happens is, by the way, I, I do let them know exactly what he told me, 150 and 300,000. And they give you the, the they, they, response in writing? That says like this yeah, is I, I got okay. an email that said, but you know, once again, it's consider it. So, so we're going back and forth. And I keep thinking, well, just call them in, you know? Like I, I also they could have called come in and said, We know you have this much, and they could have said, Go fuck yourself. Nothing they could do mm-hmm. if they buried it in the backyard. So anyway, what happens is um this drags out like six months. And then one day I get an email that says Ron Wilson's about to get a really, really bad message here. Like he's <laughs> he's about to have a really bad day, Mr. Cox. Let us know as soon as you hear what happens. And I'm like, you know, so Wilson one day, you know, Cox, Cox. And I'm like, you know, I'm on edge. Oh, yeah. Not Hell that yeah. I not that I think like Wilson's not a big guy. Like I was going to say, this is not a still, scary guy. This but, isn't he's not going to. But gonna, still, though. Yeah. Still like a little bit edgy. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you don't, he, wanna, you don't know what he's going to do or how he's going to respond. Or who he's going to pay right. off. And not just that. Even right. if he throws a fit, even if he threw a fit, I could end up going to the shoe and getting shipped mm-hmm. for my own protection. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. My mother comes to see me every two weeks. She's 80 some odd years old. Yep. No. So your mom came to see you every two every weeks? two weeks for thirteen years. Wow. She's a fucking gangster. Was so what ends up happening is Wilson comes up to me and says, "You're not going to believe this. They just indicted my ex wife, my brother, and they indicted me." And I went, huh? <laughs> <laughs> "You're kidding? No, Ron, say it ain't so." <laughs> <laughs> And, and, no. I, and Ron, I, embra- I won't be, I I won't be seeing you for as long as I thought. <laughs> I hugged him. 
and said, Get let's, let's cry it out. No. And I, and, you know, I said, I said, get the fuck out of here. And he was like, he was like, he's like, yeah. I was like, for what? For what? And he goes, he's like, for, you know, for the, the Ponzi. I told you the Ponzi scheme. I said, no, I found the Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yeah. He said, they brought my, they brought my wife in there and she denied it. The first day that she called, they, she said, I don't know what you're talking about. She denied it. And the next morning she came back and she gave him a $350,000 in, <laughs> in cash and gold and silver bullion. And I went, what? Keep in mind, his, his Ponzi scheme was based on silver. So he had like get nuggets and ingots and everything. So he really had money buried and gold and silver and shit buried. So she gave him all this stuff. And he was, then my brother came in the next day and get, walked in and gave him 150000 I said, Bro, you said it was like thirty thousand. You said it was like I know, I know. He said it was more than what I said. I didn't, I didn't, just didn't trust you. And I was like, that's no, that's no. insulting that you wouldn't <laughs> trust me. So I would never tell about thirty thousand. Yeah. So he, uh, so he's like, yeah, they've indicted me. And my my lawyer said they're going to be moving me. I was like, okay, well, I'm sure it'll be okay. He goes, We're going to miss you. And, and you know, you have to understand. Look, you have to understand. There's different levels of cooperation. If I give Jim some information, hey, this guy Todd is selling drugs out of his house, but that's all I give him. And then he investigates and he ends up finding out and he ends up – he does end up pulling him over one day, finds drugs on him, arrests him. OK. I get something because it was really in passing. It wasn't a big deal, right? I didn't give you a ton of information. If I wear a wire on you and I get information and I start pulling information and I work – which essentially I was doing emails, going out, getting the information, mm-hmm. coming back, giving – and I'm giving them information that they don't know and that they can independently verify. In fact, I'm also giving them information that they said – Spot on. No, Mr. Cox, you're saying that there was 300000 here. There wasn't. We would have known that. I said absolutely not. So-and-so's mother got a, uh, uh, got a settlement and she bought that condo with that money and this and sold it and the money went into another account. And they come back, they'd be like, man, I don't know how we missed that, but we found out that's true. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. So now that's money you can go after, isn't it? You yeah. see what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, absolutely. So I really, they were like, you, you have no idea. Like you, you're, this is great. So will, so the, then the next level would be, what if he goes, somebody goes to trial and I testify in trial? That's the As best. As an eyewitness. Yeah, that's absolutely. And having them. If you can have someone in their own words explain what they did, that's the most powerful piece, right? So that's going to be – and even even depends on the level of the investigator or the agent. You might give them something that you think is just nothing, but it's a missing piece. Right. And if there's a good, aggressive, competent investigator, they're going to run that out. Right. And I'm going to come back. If it was me, I'm coming back to you to give you the credit for that because I understand we can independently corroborate based on what you told us. And there's no way that we would have got to that point without that cooperator. Right. But a lot of people don't look at it that way. So, a lot so, of people are lazy as shit. So they don't do anything about it. They just let right. it go, ah, it can't be anything. He's he's a criminal. You right. know? So the other thing is that also depends on how much they're going to ask the judge for a reduction, mm-hmm. right? Well, I gave us some information. It panned out. Give him a little bit off, 25%. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did this. Give him 30%. Oh, you know what? Your honor was amazing. He really did this and this and testified. And he put himself in real danger. Give him 50%. So Wilson says, man, I, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And I go, you should go to trial. Because I know they'll have to call me as a witness. Oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. So now you're covered. 
Don't you fucking put up with any shit, Ron. <laughs> you need Go to, to drag trial. this yep. out. Matt's doing yeah. See if you can Listen. get it past the bow. So three year mark. The, walking in the courtroom, wave. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, pal. So anyway, what happens with Wilson is he says yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to this. And so they, the next couple of days later, they put him on the pack out, right? The transfer uh, sheet. And he packs his bag out and he gets moved back to South Carolina. So uh, he's back there a few months, six months, and he pleads guilty and he gets sentenced to six more months. He's already got 19 and a half years. So now it's 20 years. Actually not the worst outcome ever for him. No. And then his wife gets like, she gets like, it, it was like, it's like a hundred hours of um, community service, community service yeah. and like six months probation. And then his brother, because they was they, they got hit with um, obstruction of justice. And then his brother ends up getting like whatever it was, six months or three months probation, like nothing. Like they're I don't even think they're felons. Like I'm saying like it's nothing. Mm. Mm. So okay, the problem with that is that that's not a huge sentence, is it? Like how much? What's that going to do for me? They're not taking this super serious. Chances are you've been here before. There's absolute chaos in the markets, whether it be oil or stocks. And just when you thought it was safe and interest rates were rising, new threats have come out of nowhere. Tensions are boiling from Asia to Europe. Two wars are happening simultaneously with no end in sight. And an election year beckons in 2024. Adaptation is the key to safeguarding your wealth. Have you thought about hedging your portfolio with gold? You should. It's not speculation, but insurance. And right now you need some insurance. Noble Gold Investments have been protecting investors from disaster for years with precious metals. So if you're worried, it might be time to take a fresh look at gold and silver. Gold is a proven safe haven shield for your portfolio and a volatility balance against uncertainty. Noble Gold Investments is offering a free three-ounce silver American virtue coin along with its IRAs this month. If you open your Noble Gold Investments IRA or 401k rollover, you can claim your free coin today. To protect your wealth and retirement money, open up a gold IRA today day by going to www.noblegoldinvestments.com slash Julian Dory or by calling 877-646-5347. Once again, that's noblegoldinvestments.com slash Julian Dory. Remember, crisis brews, portfolios waiver, gold insulates. So secure yourself against the threats at Noble Gold Investments. So, and this whole time, by the way, you know, I've been telling the only one of the only persons I've been telling what's going on is Frank Amadeo. And he's like, <laughs> document everything. You know? mm -hmm. So um uh so what happens is afterward I wait and I wait and I wait about six months and we write a letter and say, Hey, where's my reduction? No response. So Frank files another twenty two fifty five. And the court comes back and they say – we say, look, Mr. Cox was approached by the Secret Service. He was contacted. You know, they, the U.S. attorney agreed that they would reduce his sentence. He he helped with this. He helped that. We sent them like a list of emails. Like we, we traded over 100 emails with the C, uh, Secret Service, blah, 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 all the way down the line. They said they give something. What's going on? And the U.S. attorney came back and said, we don't even know what you're talking about. We don't have any agreement with Mr. Cox. <laughs> so we send the letter that they didn't think I had, by the way. 
Why didn't they think you had? That? I don't know. Like because it was a letter to the to the Secret Service agent. Yeah, so that he, he didn't turn that. So he didn't turn that over then. Clearly, what, what do you mean? The Secret Service agent didn't allow them to be involved in that piece. No, the Secret Service. I think the U.S. Attorney. Just, no, the U.S. Attorney just didn't think the Secret Service agent had forwarded me the letter. Mm. It was a letter to him, saying we will reduce Mr. Cox's sentence. Okay. Blah blah blah. It wasn't to me. Got it. So he forwarded that. Okay, to me, and they probably saying. just yeah, didn't yeah, think yeah. it was happening. Keep, yeah. keep in mind, too, this is also. But, but that is so. That is so damn corrupt. No, I mean, but <laughs> I'm, I mean, not gonna, I'm not. I will not sit but, here but and I'm listen not, to you talk bad about the federal government. I won't but, do it. But listen, this. How much money you want from me? This guy would get me. Oh my um, God. But seriously, that's that's a big time issue. I mean, I'm being as honest as I can be. I mean, that just that's doesn't one thing happen. I do appreciate about post career Jim like you call it where you see it with and not just by well, the FBI be, but with all of them like yeah, you know a, when, when they're in the right fire, they're in the right that's a fireable yeah. offense but when they're wrong you ain't afraid to say it I prosecutorial um, uh, um, it's a immu- immunity they mm. get, they uh, besides the fact I mean this is it, it is a significant charge because it's a conspiracy to commit obstruction so both on the guy himself and the wife and the brother that's a conspiracy I mean that's a significant charge I mean, I, I feel I, like it is. I mean, they're a felon. I mean, they're they're and they are convicted felons. Yeah. So, oh, oh they are absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But they they didn't like they got like almost. No but I mean, time. the punishment like, doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's clear that the the obstruction, the conspiracy to commit obstruction, is is significant. It's a significant charge. Mm. I'm just disgusted with the whole thing. But that's just me. Well, my disgust was a little bit. I'm a thinking bit it's more probably a little bit more. I was yeah, you're the one doing the time. So, but what, I'm as disgusted as I can be. Yeah, <laughs> without having not to nearly serve to the level of disgust that uh, some prison time. So, <laughs> well, no, I was married twice. I <laughs> definitely served time. <laughs> uh, I always say that about my my ex wife's uh, yeah. new husband. Like he's doing some serious. <laughs> Dude, I saw I she, saw uh, something. My my listen. My marriage with my my first wife like prepared me for prison. <laughs> Like, I was like, it wasn't as bad. I I saw something that said, it's, hey, you think you're having a bad day? There's some dude waking up with your ex-wife seeing, thinking he met his soulmate. That is a beautiful, that keeps me going. That keeps me going. You have a good relationship with her, though. It's I, a I funny relationship. I yeah, do now. now. And so, I do with my first one. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe you'll have one with the second one. Maybe. Eventually. Maybe. Eventually. Yeah. 50, a 50, 60 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Takes time. So... <laughs> Um, anyway, so I end up, Frank files a motion, a 2255. We go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. At some point, um, and I think Jim will probably realize, understand this more so than most people. I and mean, I don't, I don't like, go into it too much. Um, the judge ends up saying, because we argued equitable tolling again, that my lawyer didn't understand. This is my next lawyer. Like being my lawyer is a mistake. <laughs> right? She was incompetent. She's ineffective. She didn't understand. Still she, comes and testifies for you. She hangs Thanks, out. Mel. We wave. <laughs> we wave. We we hug. Um, so so she so I say we say all this and we go back and forth and the judge after going back forth back forth the judge says listen I don't believe that I have jurisdiction to rule on this. He said. So I'm going to – he said, I'm denying it, but I'm giving you a certificate of appealability. Interesting. Appealability? Yeah, to, you, I'm, I'm, so take it to the next level. Right. And you have my permission to do so. And mm. I'm waiving the mm. fee 
that Mr. Cox has to pay. I had to pay a five hundred dollar fee. Instead of waiving the fee, giving him a so first of all, he doesn't give you one. You go to the magistrate judge and you argue that you have the right to appeal. And the magistrate judge could say, I don't think you have a case. No. So, but the judge said, fuck that. Here's your certificate. And I'm waving the five hundred dollars. Oh, sorry. Yeah, mm, go. Sorry. And I'm and I'm waving the five hundred dollars. You go forward. Mm. And what that's saying to the US attorney, what it's and to the appellate court is I think he has something. Absolutely. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And because they saw that and they're like, oh shit, they immediately said, We would like a stay of the proceedings. We'd like to have the court assign a lawyer, and that lawyer flew down to it uh to Coleman and came and saw me. And I went in there and I said, What's going on? And she said, Well, they're offering you one level reduction. And I went, okay. And they said, uh, yeah, so one level reduction. And I, she goes, you know, look, your, your stuff's written well, but you really don't have a prayer. And I go, well, I want four levels. Frank, Frank said four levels. This is a new attorney, yeah. by mm. the way, who, who went to Harvard. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're moving up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And she goes, she said, um, uh, she said, yeah, no. Um, she said, Matt, you just don't have a prayer. I said, you saw my last one. <laughs> and she was like, right. I said, well, then if I don't have a prayer, she's, they're going to, you're going to lose. I said, then why are you here? <laughs> like why, if they could, you think I'm going to get crushed. She goes, yeah. I go, then why not crush me? <laughs> why do this? Why have, why spend what, 11 grand on you and fly you down here? Why do that? I said, because they might lose. She said, I don't think they'll lose. And I said, I think they might. I think they're afraid. And I think that the judge is letting them know. And this is what I say. And this is what Frank says. And Frank said four levels. So I'll take four levels. She goes, I'll go back. And she goes, who's Frank? We go through the whole thing over. <laughs> and she's like, you're listening to the advice of a mentally. Uh, uh, yes. Per- I'm yes, like, I am. You're damn That's right. exactly what I'm doing. I just yeah. got seven years knocked off my sentence. <laughs> of course I'm going to listen to him. So. I got Harvard here telling me you don't have a prayer. I've got batshit crazy saying let's, let's run four this. levels, baby. Yeah. So she goes back. She comes. She goes back. She comes back. She says, "And this takes, but this takes six months, not maybe four months." And she says, "Listen, two levels. They'll go two levels." I said, "Okay, two levels." Uh, no, Frank said four levels. And she says, "Well, did you tell Frank this? Did you? <laughs> we're going. We're going. <laughs> I want Frank in here immediately." One well, level is thirty months, right? No, no. By by this point, one level is only like twenty one months. Okay. So where so are we? Where are we you, at? What, what do you have left at this point? How much time? I've got seven years. Seven left? years. Okay. okay. So they're saying Six, we'll kick seven? two. Basically, we'll kick two off. Right. So and and so we go back and forth, back and forth, and and I kept, I said, look, you let them know. That I want, and by the way, we're at this point. We're ordering Freedom of Information Acts. We're asking mm. the the judge to give us like discovery. <laughs> we're like all this. Keep in mind, I also know that 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 no discovery was ever compiled for Freedom of Information Act from the FBI, and it's like over a hundred, two hundred thousand pages. So mm. they would, I mean, they're yelling, saying, "If the FBI has to file this, will take hundreds of hours oh, yeah. for them to compile this." Well, that's not my fault. And I said, and we're then telling them we want. To have an evidentiary hearing, which is my right, and I want the FBI agent from 
uh, Kevin White's case. I want the FBI agents all. We got like 10 people and I have the right to ask. Yeah. So they're like, what are you going to turn this into a circus? And I go, absolutely. <laughs> we'll drag this fucker out. Like I, I'm, I'm, you have to give me the one level just to file it. Yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry. That's not true. They already had filed the one level, by okay. the way. They'd already filed one. We asked them to stop. So you'd have stay. to amend it. Or, yes. or it was stayed. Okay. Right. Because he never vote, He never ruled on it. Okay. So what ends up happening is we go back and forth, back and forth. And so one day I'm on the phone. I call, the, call uh, Leanne, my new lawyer. And I said, Leanne, what's going on? And she said, okay. She said, I just talked to him. She said, they're willing to – it's one of two things. You either take three levels – or you go, we're going back to court. I said, I'll take the three levels. So that's 63 right. months? Well, first what she said was, she goes, we'll take, we'll take three levels. She said, it's three levels. Or she said, or she said, you go back to court. She goes, so I guess where I told them we would go back to court. Because I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'll take the three levels. And she goes, well, you said, you said you wouldn't take less than four. I said, no, I said, Frank said to tell you. To go for <laughs> not to take less than four. You just I said, got me up to three. I said we were all. Frank said we were always good with three. I said three levels. I said basically we have just enough time to put me in for a fucking halfway house. I get a year halfway house. Like and she's like, <laughs> and I said yeah 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 we're good we're good let's go with three levels. So that's five, that's over five years off your sentence. It's five years. Yeah. So Frank Amadeo got me twelve years knocked off. My wow. Sentence. Wow. Um. So it went from 26 and four down to 14 and four, and you'd already done one before you got in there. So, yeah, I've got maybe two and a half or three years left. So it's really, it's almost three years left. Three years left. But, wow. But with a halfway house, it would have been, no, it, it, it was less than that. It was, it was like two years off. Yeah. Because no, I was going to be a year off the halfway house. So I ended up going into RDAP just to stay in the institution. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, so it was – that was um, – the thing about Amadeo is that if I even think about what he did for me, like there's no fucking way. Like I – like I joke about him and I fuck with – you know, and I and I joke about it. And, and it's true. Listen, he's batshit crazy. Like there's no doubt. Like I mean even he'll laugh about it. But, bro, I'd be in prison right now. Hmm. I, I had – my out date was 2030. Mm. You know, and 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 I wouldn't even go to this guy. I thought he was so fucking insane. And he just like and he paid for everything. No, Cox, I got that. No, no, I'll pay for the the typists. I'll pay for like he had guys that he had trained just to do divorces. He had guys that were trained just to do certain things. And he handled 2255s and 2251s and 2255s. So he handled those, but he had guys special, um, specially trained to do research on certain things, to type up motions, to – he had all these specialty people. He was running a mid-size law firm and he had guys that were essentially like lawyers. He mm-hmm. had my buddy Pete. He called them associates. Like he said, like well, you know, these are my four associates. Wow. Uh, these are my. Th- he had paralegals, associates, typists, which are essentially secretaries. It was an insane fucking operation. And then I get out of prison. When I eventually get out of prison, he he had twenty. He got twenty two years. He'd been down. I think he did seven. 
Oh, so he got 15 he got off out his of own. Pri- no, he, he's out of prison. He's in Orlando right now. <laughs> mm. He started buying fucking companies and rebuilding them. He's doing the whole thing all over again. <laughs> Everybody's like, you're going to go back to prison? You're going to end up getting yourself back in prison. Well, he has they even threw him back in. They threw him back in prison too, by the way. When? They threw him back in prison about a year and a half ago. He was in prison for about six months and he got himself back out of prison. They violated his probation for no reason. They violated it. They said that he was. He is fascinating. He, he's listen. I, I'm telling you, difficult to deal with. But yes, absolutely. You know what though? That goes to show you. Like obviously, he has some severe mental problems, like some health problems. Like that's literally documented. I mean, I he's weren't, weren't they? But a couple things here. Yeah. Number one, it does go to show you that, and I'm not excusing the stuff the guy has done. Like you know, it's really fucked up. But. You know, it goes to show you that you can find humanity in some interesting places because clearly, like, this guy wanted to be, but like, perhaps, like, in his life, he wanted to do the right thing and his mind stopped him from always doing the right thing. And he had enough power and smarts that when he did the wrong thing, it was really fucking bad. Mm. But then when he's got nothing else to do, he could sit there and say, fuck everyone. And he can fill his commissary with all the money he wants, but he takes the time and helps guys like you. And it's very cool to see that. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, and he would get so indignant and so angry and so offended and upset <laughs> at, 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 at like, the, the government, they can't do this. And he, then he, I'm going to make them bow down in D.C. <laughs> Fight for the next year and a half and knock six years off your sentence and get nothing for it. No, nothing for it. But listen, they, they you know, um, uh, Pete called him, you know, everybody, well, not every, almost everybody called him the emperor. Mm. And you would see, he, he's, he would walk, he'd have two or three guys behind him holding his stuff. He's, it's, it's, it was almost, it's comical if he wasn't he so, movie. he, would, he yeah. wasn't so fucking effective. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like it'd be comical <laughs> yeah. if he wasn't walking people out of prison. You'd think, oh, look at this silly little guy. No, <laughs> it's not silly. He's walking around, he'd be walking around and he'd walk around and do this. He would, he'd. You know, you, like the Kanye say, West, like this, where he like moves his fingers and they spread. I, no, no, no. Like people would go, <laughs> you'd walk by and you'd go, Emperor, and he'd go, Emperor, how, <laughs> how are you? Like just like a little, how are you? With like the white hand. Kim Jong Un. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know they go, uh, uh, Frank, can I talk to you? Frank, can I talk to you? Yeah, what's up? Okay, let, no, listen. Uh, it Tuesday, Tuesday at seven o'clock. Hard I, stop I, at seven. Yeah. Tuesday at seven. <laughs> I, 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 we all knew cases Tuesday at seven. Bring your indictment. Bring your this. Bring, and you're like, guys would be lining up. And then what's so funny too, this used to crack us up. He was on the second level of the building, right? So when you walk out, it's like a, it's probably a pad that's about three times the size of this table, right? Like we're actually about the size of this room. Mm. So you walk out and there's a stairway that goes all the way down. So you walk out the double doors, uh, the, the, that, upper level of the prison you walk over and you can look out over the whole compound Hmm. but right underneath roughly underneath him and to the side are areas where people sit and frank would walk out and he'd look out (laughs) over his people and he'd sit there and people would say frank frank (laughs) it's not quite a it wasn't quite that but it was how are you? And he would look at. We used to say, "Look, it's Frank looking out over the masses." Like he had it was it was, it was like Mussolini, or you know, looking out over the you know, El Duce. You know, yeah. it, it was hilarious. And the funniest thing was is so. I'll tell you one more thing. And he had uh, w- so he used to give you a speech when he was going to do your case. He'd say, "Listen, let me explain something." He'd go, "I'm the pilot. You're just a." a you're just a passenger. I'm flying the plane. You understand? I understand. It's your plane. You want, but I'm flying the plane. 
don't tell me how to fly the plane. Do you understand? Mm. Or you can get somebody else. You know, so that that's where this is. Or he's like, or I will throw you out of the plane. <laughs> I'll give you all your stuff back and throw it, throw you right out of the plane. And, you know, you're like, I don't know if he's serious, but I, I'm also like a drug dealer and I don't know enough about the law. So if this is – and he's walking people out. So, of course, the problem was you get into your into the law and then guys would come up to him. They go, Frank, Frank, uh, do you see the new Johnson case? Uh, uh, Johnson versus, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, I have a gun charge. You go, no, 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 no. That, that's for a career criminal enhancement that you don't have because of this and this and this. You go, yeah, yeah but uh, 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 Paul so-and-so got in and, and he he had to go, no, this doesn't. Listen, listen, listen. And he'd sit there and he'd start to get, you know, and you don't know enough to understand it doesn't apply to you. Mm. And he'd get a little bit frustrated and he's busy and he'd go, he would sit there and next thing you know, he would go manic on you. And he would just, you know, I'm going to, you know, I will give you all of your legal work back. You can have your buddy Pauly do it, you know, and he just, and he would, so, Pauly. so getting thrown out of the airplane, my friend Donovan said, bro, like Frank threw this guy, he threw this guy out of the plane. He, and then maybe a couple of days he go, bro, you don't understand. He threw this guy out of the plane. He goes, he didn't throw him out of the plane, bro. He threw him out of the plane into the turbine. <laughs> he hit the fucking engine. He turbined him. And so it became... Frank's about to turbine this dude, mm. and it was t- getting turbined. And Frank would go on a, a rampage, and we'd be like, oh, shit, Frank's going to turbine this dude. Frank's going to turbine this dude. And next thing you know, he'd go, I will <laughs> – what would we say? I will anthrax your entire <laughs> village. And and the guy would be like, I'm from Palm Beach. Palm Beach then. <laughs> and I will – and he just – and then he'd calm down, and he'd go – I'm giving you all your legal work. Then, listen, you would see these guys who were like tough gangster kind of, no, 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 Frank, I'm so sorry. Oh my God, Frank, I'm so, please don't, 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 I mean, they're practically on their knees begging him. If you say one more word to me, oh, Frank, I won't say anything else. I won't say anything else. I mean, it was pathetic. And he's got all the leverage. Yeah. He's the guy. It was great. It was great. He, wasn't there something though with his case that I don't know if it was you uncovered it with the FOIA stuff, but. Somebody figured out that the government was drugging him, and so he oh, no, actually figured out it was that was given. It was a given. What do you I mean? It was a given. It's it's in it's it's in the tra- all the transcripts. He lists everything in front of the judge. All the drugs he's taking. We're like oh, Thorazine and this drug, and he lists all these drugs. And they're like, "Well, do you feel you you're competent enough to move to move forward?" And he's like, "I I, I feel I have a, a, an understanding of what's going on." <laughs> With the, mo- I mean, you know, he's drool running, drools running out of his, out of his side of his fucking cheek. He didn't know what's going on. He's barely cohesive. Uh, um, what am I trying to say? Cognitive of what? Cognitive of what's going on, right? Yeah. He's barely yeah, conscious. Up on so much shit. And, and and yeah, they convinced him to take a plea, thinking he's going to get a year or two, and they end up giving him like twenty two years. Now you also met. You you had said this a little bit earlier, but. In writing his book, that's when you met Bustamante. Yeah. And we've told the story now by – I think we're filming this like right before the episode's going to come out with me, Jim, Danny, and uh, Bustamante down from when we were on Danny Jones' podcast. But we told it on there that you were the original guy who found Bustamante and <laughs> convinced Danny to bring him on. But how, how did you – was Bustamante like intimately aware of his case? Is that – how you got no, in touch with him or 
Just because he was a CIA expert, you wanted so, to know some recon on things? I had a guy who contacted me, and uh, he ran a podcast called uh, like Kilo 23 or 23 Kilo. Okay. And um, he's like a security expert, and he also runs a, a channel. And he's interviewed um, a few former CIA guys, a couple of ex-KGB guys. And, you know, different different type of security experts. And he contacted me and said, it's funny. I'd like to interview you. I haven't – he's like, like, I don't have my subscribers where I want. And I, I want to get a little bit more content. But I'd love to interview you. Would you be interviewed? I said, absolutely. No problem. Well, when I started writing Frank's book, I'd already written a synopsis of his story, which was, I don't know, 15 pages long. So I'd already written that. And I wanted to expand it into a full-length book because keep in mind, just doing the – Doing the research on Frank's case, I'd read all his transcripts, and there was so much good stuff mm. that didn't make it into the synopsis that I really felt like I can – it would take nothing to blow this up to forty or 50,000 words, which isn't even a big book. It's a small book. Um, that's not even 300 words. It's like 200 words. So I said – um, I want to do this, but I thought, you know what I would love to do is get some kind of a CIA, former CIA person or CIA. You're not going to get somebody in the CIA, but somebody who's – Allegedly. Right. Somebody for a former CIA or retired CIA and have them kind of like read – even if – and I really kind of expected them to read through and say like this couldn't have happened or this wouldn't have happened that way or – and that's fine. I don't have a problem with you disagreeing with – Frank's narrative or what Frank's saying happened. But because Frank had talked about being approached by the CIA, he actually tested for the CIA. He was offered a job by the CIA. And he says – When he was young or – Yeah, when he was in college in, okay. in university, which is funny because Bustamante said that's – back then it was very common for the CIA to try and recruit from from uh, people with law degrees. Where where was he in school again? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was in Atlanta. It was – Interesting. Um, um, I forget the name of it. The word on the street that I mean, I don't know, but the when you talk to some of the CIA guys, apparently like the heaviest place when they do that historically when they're looking at college recruits is on the Ivy Leagues. They look at like Yale, they look at Harvard, yeah, they look at Dartmouth. Interesting. Was it Ivy League? But okay. but he is smart and he is yeah. Okay. So um and and then later in life there were things that happened that Frank had said he was approached by the CIA. This was during the Congo, um, you know, the, the the coup in the Congo that they attempted. That Frank attempted. That Frank yeah. attempted, that Frank will say, it wasn't a coup. We <laughs> were just backed a political candidate. And now, and the Congolese say it was an armed coup. And Frank says they didn't have guns. <laughs> and it's like, you know, Frank, I feel like there were 32 guys that got arrested here, another 30 or so here. And I feel like they weren't just walking around without guns. You also hired people from South Africa mm. and from Nigeria that mm. were also part of your security detail. And I'm going to say that South Africa is kind of – in Nigeria kind of known for – private security and they carry guns can we can we delve into that a little bit just because i've heard the high level on this but and you touched on it earlier just like the broad strokes but what exact how exactly did he first get into the congo and what was going on that made him think oh i can hire this team of 32 we're going to back a political candidate and then we're going to like take over the military inexhaustible amount of money from the federal government 
that he'd stolen is probably why he right, thought he the did 180 do it. million. Right. So it, that's not like I mean that's a lot of no, money. No, that's not a lot to to win a win in the First of all, the problem with the Congo is this. The the current president at that time was the son of the previous president and like Bustamante will tell you like in South America in Africa Collegiate culture type right, shit. Yeah. Right. You don't get there because you're charismatic and mm-hmm. smart. You get there because you're cunning and brutal. Yes. And so these were brutal people. So the the number one candidate is the current president who was running for right. And keep in mind that the um NATO was helping maintain kind of the peace, right? Mm. For the elections, the free elections. So one, we've got the president, and two, we've got a general who's not the kind of general that we think of here. Like he's got his own private – his own army and it's a government-run army. Yeah. But it's not exactly like the president can fire him. They're very loyal to him. It's like if the president fired him, he might be like, I don't think so. Maybe I'll just take over. So it's touchy. But he's also running for president. So there was a a, um, Congolese-born citizen who went – to the United States and became a doctor. So he's he's educated in the United States, but he's Congolese. He's born in Con- in the Congo. So Frank, he comes to Frank and says, I'm interested in getting security because Frank owned a private security company that was run by a former Secret Service agent, the head of the Secret Service agent detail for George Bush mm. Sr. And he says – I need security. And Frank, after talking to him, said, what if we backed you also? Mm. He said, all I want you to do is if we back you is to run your your, – we'll run your campaign. And then, of course, they ended up saying that they want – they worked out a deal. You know, we'll provide this. We'll do this. You do this. You give us the rights to this. We do this for you. We do – you know, back and forth. Um, it, he basically wanted to hire the Congolese. There's a, a tribe in one of the tribes in Congo that he wanted to hire because they're kind of disenfranchised. Wanted to hire them as a private um, militia, mm-hmm. so like a private military that would be for that Frank would be run by Frank. <laughs> so now you don't necessarily have the issue. You don't necessarily have the issue um, with the generals that don't necessarily listen to you, right? No. So, but he would do that because they would have rights to the to the minerals and you know all of these. Ah, right. there it is. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously, because it's got the highest concentration in the world of like zinc, gold, diamonds, yep. like all these. But you can't get to them because they've been fighting for fifty years. Yeah. So what what ends up happening is Frank. So Frank goes in there. His candidate in the first couple months is number I want to say thirty, thirty two, thirty three out of all the candidates. He's like last. In six months, he goes from last to number three. Billboards everywhere. He's selling out. Um, he's selling out arenas. There's <laughs> advertising everywhere. There's just a ton of money being dumped. And so, what do they do? They swoop in one day. They arrest all of these guys. His the political guys. They pull his guys off the plane. Like two of the guys are getting on a plane. They pull them off the, the plane. Congolese government. Arrest no, them. no, the military. That's. So the guy right, that's right, the right, second right. – the candidate that's right. in second place is a general. He has his troops go in and arrest all these guys. They bring them there. Periodically, they would bring them outside and do a mock execution for the cameras. <laughs> I've got – there's a whole video. It's called Nine Days in the Congo. Yeah. It's great. Um, Amazing. 
So, uh, and then when did the CIA get involved with him? Well, I mean, so the so it takes nine days for him to get these guys back. Obviously, his candidate is flipped out. Like they, he never ends up running. I think he gets he gets he takes like third or fourth or fifth. Um, yeah, there it is. We got the video on the screen here. Nine yeah. days in the Congo. All right, continue. Sorry. Oh, look at that. You got to pay for premium. What do you think? I have premium. That's his computer. That's why. Okay. So anyway, go ahead. Um, what ends up happening is he gets back and he starts to. He's got like he's got like a private, a private um, security forces, right? Well, the private security forces are also guarding convoys in, um, in uh, uh, Afghanistan. Mm. So you know you drop off like seeds for the farmers, and somebody you know the army doesn't have time to, so he does it. He they they guard whatever you know uh, embassies or whatever they do, whatever the private people do. Um, well, what happens is he ends up getting approached by somebody. Well, he gets approached by a guy. He's approached a couple times. Eventually, he ends up getting approached by – it's a little bit you know, uh, convoluted. But he ends up getting approached by a guy that says that they want him they, – they, they like what he was doing in – the Congo. <laughs> I like I like where Love your head's where at. at. Yeah. Like where your head's at in the Congo, Respect. Frank. Great. Respect right. And we have an issue in Tajikistan. Huh. Which is this tiny little country. <laughs> like it is. It's it's like it's ridiculous. We have this problem in Tajikistan yeah. and we want Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Basically, what would it take if we could essentially have the military back off? And all you basically have to do is take the capital. You have to basically take this one city. Like it's like you go into Washington, you take this isn't a well structured system. <laughs> you can cut the head off the snake and everybody falls into place. And basically they're saying, look, if you go in and do this. Um, and so he's in kind of in negotiations. And he also at one point was approached by the CIA. Here's what killed me. The so I got this from another guy. Like Frank didn't tell me this because there's sometimes I would push the envelope and Frank would say, like, I can't talk about that. Mm. So I got this through a friend of his and he said he was approached at Disney World. Oh. No, no, it wasn't Disney. It was, it was either Disney or Epcot, I think. I, Same I thought, shit. But the point is – that I, when I thought I thought this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard, right? Like you're you're going to Epcot and you're meeting with CIA agents. But when I talked to Bustamante, he's like, "It's not bad." He's like, "Think about it. There's a ton of people around. Mm -hmm. You have to go through security. You know you're okay. You're you're there's so many people there. It's it's and I'm like, you would think you would want to meet where there's nobody. He's like, no. So you never get seen again if you right. do that. It, Frank ends up getting arrested before any of this st other stuff falls. This stuff happens, right? Like there's several things. He he was at he went to NATO. He backed the NATO summit at uh, Latvia and in, in Riga. Um, like his little his symbol is when you they list all the people that backed them that paid. <laughs> His company's on there. So, I mean, you know, it's like there's all these things. You know, you read the transcripts and the judge is like, he what? Like, what do you mean he met with President Bush? Don't they screen these people? Like, this is the president. This is the, you know, he's like, how? He's a felon. How did he? Anyway, um, what ends up happening is uh, he ends up getting arrested. But, um, but I wanted somebody to look at this stuff that I thought was so insane. 
Like there's just no way this is what happens. And so I contacted the guy, Kilo23, and I said, I need to talk to like a, a CIA guy. Do you have one? He's like, I got three of them. I said, okay. I said, I need somebody that's going to just basically would be willing to probably read a manuscript and give me, give me their opinion of different parts of the manuscript so that I can get somebody that kind of leads validity, uh, lends validity to this or just strikes it down as being pure insanity. Like I'm okay as if he said, this guy's crazy. That's fine. I, I'm okay with that. But that's not what Bustamante said. He was like, there was one very, very few times that he said, this seems like not the way that I would think it would happen. Mm. It's not that it couldn't happen this way. I believe that mm. this is more like this would happen. But 90% of the stuff was like, absolutely, I believe that's that's very possible. Absolutely. They 90%. Used it. You, if you read it, and Bustamante is just you know, super smart. Yeah. Great. And he talks about like the mental issues that CIA agents have and that like, you know, that they have, from you know, alpha, you know, you get a bunch of, same thing, FBI, mm-hmm. you get a bunch of alpha guys together, you know, that, so you've got all these issues, you have personality defects, but like, I'm sure, you know, you've heard me say this before, but it's like, it's like saying, okay, well, why would anybody follow a narcissist? You follow a narcissist because he's confident, he's willing to push the truth, maybe even lie. He's willing to, he's, he's willing to be aggressive. He's willing to fake his way through it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like yep. he's the guy that gets things done. People don't like him. He's not, he's not super, you know, he doesn't, he he hurts your feelings. He's bullish. He pushes. Compartmentalized but that's, big but that's time. The, right. But that's yeah, the guy that's the that gets person. it done. Absolutely. Right. At the end of the day, you probably don't want to have a relationship with no. this person, but he probably will turn your small company into a billion dollar company yep. or he'll end up in prison. Yep. Fair you know? enough. Right. So and that was what Bustamante was saying. He's like, "Yeah, this is what happens. This is what these guys do. This is what happens." And Frank was clearly on his way. And had one or two things gone his way, he may very well be in charge of five or six different countries in Africa right now. You don't know. And here's the thing: it's not even unrealistic. What was the name of the, the British guy that owned a huge security firm that was taking over countries in Africa? He ended up getting arrested. Can we look that up? Man, British was- guy, Africa security firm. Right. Let's see what that he is. He launched like he, – he took over one country and launched a coup against another country mm-hmm. and ended up going to prison. I don't know if I know this story. This guy? Mark Shuttleworth? No. That's not it. I would re- – I'll recognize the name. Wait, wait. UK security firm GS4 under fire over pr- – no, that's no, not it's, it. No, this would have been back in the 90s, I think. Like he literally saw – there was a there was a, a there was a coup and they – this – this, like the the rebels had taken over Cecil Rhodes, no, an oil field, and this guy came, he took his forces, went in and took the oil field back over. It ends up taking over the whole country. Oh, he ends up getting overthrown, of course, you know, and he it's a whole thing. But he ends up going to prison. Simon Mann? That's Simon Mann. Right, that's, cool. that's Simon Mann. All right, that's click it. that. Click that. You I'd remember it. With Simon Mann. Sandhurst guy, huh? Simon Mann is a British mercenary and former officer in the SAS. 
He trained to be an officer at Sandhurst and was commissioned into the Scots Guards. He later became a member of the SAS. On leaving the military, he co-founded Sandline International with fellow ex-Scots Guards Colonel Tim Spicer in 1996. Sandline operated mostly in Angola and Sierra Leone, but a contact with the but a contract with the government of Papua New Guinea attracted a significant amount of negative publicity, in which became known as the Sandline Affair. On March 7, 2004, man is alleged to have led the 2004 Equatorial Guinea coup d'etat attempt. He was arrested by Zimbabwean police in Harare Airport along with 64 other mercenaries. He eventually served three years of a four-year prison sentence in Zimbabwe. That's got to be tough out there. And less than two years of a 34 years and four-month sentence in Equatorial Guinea. Wow. Whole different fucking Wild West out there, Yeah, man. Bro, like that's the kind of that's, – that's Frank. That's what Frank is doing. And wow. that's the kind of thing that is happening. So it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility. No. That's crazy, bro. Yeah, you end up having three, 4,000 of your own guys. I mean, look at these guys like, what, Blackwater and, you know, it's insane. Yeah, and Blackwater, the, what's his name? Eric, uh, Eric Prince, the head of Blackwater. He actually, this wasn't supposed to happen. He, it was like against protocol but he got exposed as am i allowed to say that we might have to cut that i don't know if that's that is public info he went to i didn't i didn't say what it was yet so that's that that's cool i I, we'll we'll keep that friends of of epstein no no what i mean i don't know that's not what i was getting at (laughs) sure but no there's there's something yeah let's get off that let's get back to you so anyway sometimes when you're in here and you're like wait a second and it's things start to be like is that something that's not on air it's it's tough sometimes i I do my best with it real quick to all my discord people out there the julian dory discord is officially live i put the link down in the description below so go hit that join the community and say what's up there's all kinds of features in there and i look forward to hearing from you guys let's get it popping but getting back to what what you were doing so you get did, what, what I want to understand is there were two main stories there that got you like – what was it? Like three or four levels and then three levels again. You get effectively 12 years off your prison sentence, the seven and the five. But were there other things along the way that you're like snitching on to get a to get an advantage in prison or that no. was it? Like you know what's so funny? It's like honestly like let's say this guy's got a cell phone. Man, I'm not getting any time. I don't care what you do with your cell phone. Mm. Like, I'm not getting any time off for a cell phone. So-and-so's got drugs. I don't care about drugs. I'm not getting time. Like, listen, I, I'm very specific on what I think will get me time off. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even going to say anything about Wilson. I literally, it was such a fluke. If my lawyer hadn't said anything going on, I would have been like, okay, well, yeah, send me the stuff, whatever, click. That would have been it. I hadn't even talked to Frank about it. Nothing. It wasn't till if that agent hadn't called. As soon as that agent called, I was like, I went and told Frank, Frank, this is what's going on. This is what happened. What? And he goes, document everything. He said, we'll get you something. He said, if they, he goes, if I said, they're never going to indict this guy. He's already got 19 and a half years. He's, he's, it's done. It's done. He said, you don't know. He said, if you get any money back and they admit that you got money back, he said, I'll get you something off. Mm. And I thought, damn. But here's the thing. You know, Wilson, you know, COVID happened, right? He got out of prison. He's out. Oh, yeah, because he's older. Yeah. He, he's he's older. He got out. He ended up doing like 
five or six years, I think. That's nuts. On a 20-year sentence? That's crazy. So did your friend the judge? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I hadn't, but when you mentioned that to me that you knew him in there, I ended up having him Marsha Levick for episode 131, I think it was. You, did you you interviewed him? No. I had in Marsha, who's the, the woman who blew the whole thing wide open, oh, that whole case open. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, my friend Matt Cox was in prison. That guy was on his legal team. <laughs> yeah, he was Fucking great. crazy, yeah. dude. He, he, yeah, he was – That's what, he and Frank, the judge, they used to talk all the time about, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But especially the lawsuit with Ephraim Devaroli. We'd go and talk to the judge. Judge couldn't stand Ephraim. Nobody could stand Ephraim. All right, that's what we're going to get to next. But, so, Jim, just so you know, we're referring to the kids for cash case. Yeah, yeah. That judge, yeah. Conahan, was in there with him, and he got out of prison during – he was supposed to do like – what was it, like 18, 19 years in prison, but he got out during COVID? Right. After... How much did Amadeus, I mean, how much did Frank, did uh, um, Wilson do? Oh, I got to tell you one more thing about Wilson. Okay, go for it. Um, I don't know if we're going to find that out. Ron Wilson moved to Halfway House after serving time. Look, how much two. time? Up to. How much? Wilson built, will be released in December 2029 and be placed on probation. Yeah. So he was sentenced to 19 years. So he got out in like 2020. So he did like nine, 10 years, I'm going to guess, just based on math. And when did you say he got arrested? In 2012, Wilson was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for his Ponzi scheme. Okay, so 2012 minus nine, uh, 2019, 2020 was COVID, eight years. Same thing. 20, COVID no, was it, 2020. It, I thought it just said he'd be in halfway house in 2019. It said 2029, but, oh. but this is like this is before COVID. Okay, so okay. he ended up doing eight years. Right. Okay. So he did okay. eight years on okay. a 20-year sentence. So here's the other thing about him. Listen to this. So one day I'm sitting there after my sentence gets reduced. My sentence gets – they knock five years off my sentence. I'm waiting. I got a couple of years, right, like a year and a half to go before I go to halfway house, depending on how much – I really could have had a year if they gave me a year halfway house. They didn't. They gave me – they ended up giving me seven months halfway house. But I thought I was going to get a year. So I felt like I had a year left. Um, so I'm sitting there one day in my, uh, you know, in my um, cell waiting for – Waiting for a, a count, right? Four o'clock count. So I'm sitting there. And when you new guys come to the prison, they have like they they wear their um like their bus clothes, right? They give you like, you know, khakis and like a shitty shirt, a t-shirt. And they always get you into so no matter when you show up during the day, they have they basically have to have you in the unit to be counted. So you might get there at three o'clock and They'll hold count to try and rush you over and get you into the unit. So I'm standing there one day in my cell, and this black guy is directly across the street. He's four, he's four feet away. He's directly across the hallway from me, standing there. And he just got there, and I'm standing there. And he goes, and everybody's quiet during count, right? Like you walk in. If they were walking around, they hear somebody talk. They're like, who said that? Who's talking? They'll go fucking nuts and get you. Get over here. You know, it's just, oh, shit. So everybody just stands there. But they haven't gotten to my unit yet. They're still counting the other unit. So you're sitting there. People are maybe whispering. And I'm sitting there, and the, the black guy looks over at me. He goes, hey, bro. And I go, yeah, what's up? And he says, um, you know a guy named Matt Cox? <laughs> now, keep in mind, that's not that. There's 2,000 people there, but if 60% of them are black and there's <laughs> you know, ten, less than 10% are white, it's not that hard. You ask, five, four black, or four, you ask three white guys, they're going to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cox is in that cell over there, or he's two units over. So I'm standing there. He goes, you know, you know, got him, Matt Cox? And I go, yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, all right, I need to talk to him. 
And I went, I, I said, I'm Matt Cox. He's nah, man. And I went, I pull out my ID and I go, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, okay, cool. All right. Looks around. He goes, I was locked up with Ron Wilson. And I went, okay, okay. <laughs> and now I'm kind of. You're trying to slide away. You're, you're, now not sure, you're not sure what's going down. Right. And he sat there and he went, uh, I was in, yeah, I was in uh, South Carolina. He was when he got his discovery. And mm. in his discovery were a hundred emails between me and the Secret Service. Oh my mm. God. And I went, okay. <laughs> and he said, um, yeah, he got sentenced. You know, he got like six months. I said, I heard that. And he goes, um, he gave me a message for you. And I thought, fuck, this doesn't sound good. <laughs> I feel like this could go all kinds of bad. But also, this wasn't a super big guy, mm. right? But he was bigger than me. It's and, not hard to do. Yeah, I know. So I'm thinking, he's not going to beat me too bad. I'm definitely getting moved. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to shoe for three months. They'll put me on a bus. I'm not going to see my mom again. And And I'm like, okay. And I'm really, at this point, I'm, I'm waiting for the, he said, he said to tell you that he doesn't have any hard feelings. He'd have done the same thing and to let you know that he's at peace and he's found Jesus. There you go. Oh, shit. I like that. He was a fairly religious guy before, Yeah, that's by pretty the way. cool, man. It's not like the Jesus thing was out of the realm. He's re-finding him. Yeah. You know, and I sat there. A you know, and I what's so funny is like, too late. I, I wasn't super concerned, right? But I went, I looked at him and I went, Is this gonna be an issue? And he looked at me, he said, Oh, oh, he goes, Nah, bro, that's not gonna be an issue. He said, like, I got like he I think he got like whatever he said, eight years. He was like, I got eight years. He said, I've been down about a year. He said, but I'm gonna be out of here real, real soon, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. And I said, Ah, <laughs> I see. He said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "You keep that between you and me, and we'll be good, right?" I said, "Yep, we're good." He good said, go. "All right." He said, "Yeah, all right." I said, "All right." That was it. There that was go. it. Like, so you it worked that, out for you. I would love, like, I'm waiting till I get off probation, and I will contact Wilson. No doubt in my mind, I will contact him. He listen. This guy, like, he may be upset. <laughs> But you know what he also may do? This is the kind of guy he is. He's also the kind of guy that would say, yeah, I'll do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and he's that guy. You're like, are you serious? Eh, I got out a couple years later. It's fun. I'd have done the same thing. He's that guy. That's your security consultant. Uh, I recommend we're not going to do that. Is that right? <laughs> he's insane. But I don't want to do it while I'm on probation. Mm. Because one phone call to my probation officer and I could have an issue. Jim, do you got to go? You're saying? Go for go. All right, let's stop for one minute. We'll, we'll pick back up. All right, Deveroli. We've been waiting to get there all day. So this is the War Dogs guy. As you said, Jonah Hill played him in the movie. You wrote the book Once a Gun Runner. That's what it's called, right? Right. So when when did he get into prison in, in Coleman? When did you meet him? Like 2013, 2012, somewhere in there? Somewhere around there, yeah. Okay. Now, were you familiar had you heard his story in the in you know on the news or something in prison at all? Or? No, I had read his um, I read his uh, the, I read an article in Rolling Stone magazine. Some you know by this point I I was writing basically was finishing my book and I kind of decided I wanted to start writing true crime stories. And somebody just came, so guys are giving them to me all the time. So some guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, 
Cox, you ought to check this out, and just hands me the Rolling Stone article, Arms and the Dudes. Hmm. And I was like, um, okay. So I read the article, and I thought, oh, man, that's really interesting. And then I didn't think anything about it, and probably a couple of weeks later, I was standing in line waiting for Chow, and the same guy goes, hey, bro. He's like, you know that guy that in the Rolling Stone article? I was like, right. He's, he's right there. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> and he was like really like overweight. And I go, that guy? And he goes, and he was like, um, yeah, that's him. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, so I was like, wow, are you sure? He's like, absolutely. I know he's in so-and-so. He got here a couple of days ago. And I was like, oh, okay. So probably a few days later, and, and I remember that guy said, bro, you ought to talk to him about writing a story. I was like, you know, that guy's like a multimillionaire and and he can write his own story and he'll probably already have someone writing his story. So anyway, he's oh, you know, you ought to ask. I was like, yeah. So a couple of days later, I saw him on the rec yard and I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, um, are you interested in having someone write your story or, or are you in, are you having someone write your story? And he was like, you know, mm, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, I said, well, if you if you're interested, I said, like I, I could help you write an outline like I, I write stories and I'm finishing my manuscript right now. I've got a literary agent. And he was like, um, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Because he, he he basically said he not basically he specifically said that he was bipolar, <laughs> ADHD, and he said there's no way I could sit down long enough to write a story. I said, well, I could help you write an outline, and then you could give it to somebody on the street, like a, a real writer. Mm. And he was like, mm, I'll think about it. And I was like, okay. And like months went by, six months went by, and he would see me every once a week maybe twice a week and he'd see me and you know you're walking you look up and you glance you make eye contact sometimes we just walk right by each other because there's lots of people walking around and i look up and we'd make eye contact he goes still thinking about it <laughs> like all right you know but i had blown it off and then one day he was walking across the compound and he, he saw me he's like hey cox cox and i go yeah what's up and he said you know that rolling stone article keep in mind the rolling stone article was written from david packhouse's mm. uh, perspective not yeah. deborah so he goes, hey, bro. He said, you know that uh, the Rolling Stone article. I said, right. He said it got it got sold. And I said, what do you mean? He said it it, it it got purchased. He said Todd Phillips purchased it. And I go, who? And he goes, Todd Phillips. He goes, the guy that does the mm. Hangover movies. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, yeah, they're gonna make a movie about my life, even though it wasn't written about his life. It, he's definitely the main most interesting person in yes. this. And he said, yeah, they were making a movie about my life. That's pretty cool, right? And I went, the guys that did the Hangover movies are going to make a movie about you. He's right. <laughs> and I went, oh, wow, bro. I said, I mean, you seem like a sharp guy. you know." <laughs> and he's like, right? And I said, do you understand? Have you seen those movies? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I said, they're going to make a movie called Dude, Where's My Hand Grenade? <laughs> and you're going to be a laughing stock. Yeah. I said you're gonna be you're you're gonna be synonymous with like you know Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like you're gonna be a joke. I said, and you could have gotten the drop on them just by writing an outline, having someone write a, a short memoir on you, two hundred, three hundred pages. You could they people would rather see a movie about you based on your memoir than an article. From someone else who's talking about you. I said, I don't know if you read the article, but I said, he didn't say, make you sound all that great. <laughs> and he was like, 
bro, when can we start? You can help me? I was like, got to the ego. There you go. Right. Well, and I said, you're going to have to get out of prison. Like you're going to get out of prison and, and what's going to happen? Like you're going to get out of prison and, and people are going to look at you and there's going to be, if, if there's a movie even made, which I didn't know there would be a movie made, but they did buy the, they option lots of stuff and never make it. So I was like, you know, if they make a movie, like now people, you'll say your name and People are going to be like, oh, just like the guy on that movie. <laughs> like, like you're a joke. You're like, oh, yeah, that's actually me. Really? They're going to just paint you as being a lying, cheating bastard. Like, who wants to do business with you? And he was like, damn, bro. Yeah, we need to meet. So it still took a month or so. We ended up meeting. We write an outline over the course of a few months. And then while we were writing the outline, he said, hey, can you – can I read your book? I said, sure. So I gave my manuscript, and he read it, and he came back, and he was like, bro, this is amazing. This is, this is like one of the best things I've ever read. And, you know, um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I appreciate that. He goes, can you write my book? How would you write, by the way, in there? Did Just, you had access to a computer? No, like you write on legal, uh, on a legal pad. Like I'd write, All scratch it out, write it again, write it again. And then I would go and I would type it out on the, the it's kind of like an email system, but it's not. Um, so you type it out and you could keep a draft. Mm-hmm. So then I was able to alter the drafts. And then when it was in good enough shape, I could email it to somebody on the outside and they put it in a Word document. Got it. But you can imagine how cumbersome that is. Oh, yeah. There's no no word processing function. So I would print it out and let people read it and say, hey, man, you spelled misspelled this word, you this, that. And that was like you'd do that from a computer in the library? No, it was in the – yeah, in the unit. But it, right. was, it was in the unit. Okay. Um, but it still – like it's not like you have access to the internet or even to email someone. You're basically emailing – a site that they then have to check to get it. And then they email you, leave you an email of that site. Then you have to check it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like a email. So anyway, uh, yeah. So I did, I let him read it. He read it. He says, great. Asked me if I would consider writing his memoir. And I said, yeah, I said, I said, I'll, I'll, I, well, first I told him like, you could get a real writer. <laughs> He's like, bro, you are a real writer. Like I'm telling you, this is amazing. Um, and so I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, we worked out a deal and then I introduced him to my literary agent. You already had a literary agent? Yes. When did you get him? Um, after I finished my book and sent off or like I, I just kind of got him. Does that make sense? Like, okay, you know, it was like within months, about a month or two before that. So, got you know. And so, yeah, so um, I – you know, introduced him to my literary agent and they basically were like, you need to h- hurry up and write the book as quick as possible because he's like, I want to be able to try and get a book deal and get our book sold so we can get a film – we can get a film made before um, before Warner Brothers and Todd Phillips gets their f- film made. Mm. And so they were like, you need to just hurry up and get it made, get it made. Well, F- Deveroli was being transferred to a, a, to a Miami camp to go to the the drug program down there. So we only had like a month or so, month and a half, two months to write the book. But I had a great outline. I'd writ, already written a good, a good outline. So I wrote maybe one third of the book with him. And I remember telling my literary agent, I was like, listen, I, at one point I was like, listen, this guy has no endearing qualities. Do you understand? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I said, like, it's hard to try and make him sound like a sympathetic person or a, even an anti-hero. I said, he's really just a scoundrel. 
How quickly did you pick up on that? Not kind of like you know that the outline was like stories and uh, feelings and a little here and a little but when you really get back into it and really start talking you realize like wow it's like you know you even when you tell somebody you try and give them an out like they say something that's horrific and you try and kind of like well you said that because of this and this and this right and he's like nah bro just because of this and you're like so you owed this guy a million dollars legitimately you owed it to him right right He's like, yeah, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have nothing writing. Yeah, no, so but you fucked him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I go, well, and I go, well, why didn't you just pay him? Like you, you owed him a million, but you made two million. <laughs> why didn't you just, you owed him a million. Why didn't you just pay him? He's like, bro, even if this dude gets a fucking lawyer and pays the lawyer 200,000 and I pay a lawyer 200,000, let's say I pay my lawyer half a million. I can beat him in court. He doesn't have anything in writing. I still make half a million. Mm. And I'm like, he's, just, he's a shark, right? I'm like, that's yeah. kind of, that's fucked up, bro. And he's like, you don't understand. I'm like, no, I I understand what you're saying is fucked up, you know. And and he just he just didn't give a shit, mm. you know. So, uh, you know, and and, and so I I told that to my literary agent, and he was like, look, get me. 300 pages and he's like make sure whatever you cover is covers whatever was in the article in rolling stone Mm. and expand on everything else i'm like he's leaving soon i don't have time to and i ended up saying i had written a book called stranger danger about a (laughs) sex offender who ends up becoming a billionaire by renting out mobile homes repossessed mobile homes to sex offenders Hmm. and it's just it's it's kind of it's super satirical there you go stranger danger god what a name you like that picture that is a almost eerie picture we're doing the um we're doing the audio right now so (laughs) the audio book right now so it's extremely disturbing have you ever read any of uh chuck is it paholacek you know the guy who wrote fight club yes I don't think I've read any of his stuff, no. So uh, he's written great stuff. And I really, if you, the very first, the author's note, I talk about how I'd read everything he'd written up to that point. And I wrote it very much in that style. It's a couple hundred pages and it's very chop, 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 chop. And Mm. just disturbingly dark, dark, disturbingly, satirically funny, right? Very disturbing. But I told, and my literary agent had read the book. And I go, the, I remember I said, the, I, so the main guy, eventually he becomes a sex offender. He doesn't do anything wrong. He just gets framed. But the mm. point is I go, the, I go, the main character in Stranger Danger is more sympathetic than Deveroli. And he said and, – and he sat there. And I remember uh, the guy's name was Ross, uh, my literary agent. He went, you know what? He said they have a lot in common. I go, what do you mean? They both have these mothers that are all over them, right? They have this mother, this mother that's constantly berating them and following them and yelling at them and calling them out on things and causing probably a right. Because they also like he starts naming the and there's a, several similarities. And I was like, right? He said, Deveroli's leaving. Pull whatever you can from Stranger Danger and use it in in uh in his in his story. And I was – he's like, any stories, any whatever. And I went – 
He said, look, he said, we're going to write that it's based on the true story. Oh. Anyway, and I was like. This is really stretching it, though. Like. Oh, this is fabrication. Yeah, this is crazy. And I was just like, wow. I was like, I mean. I wonder how often this happens. Fuck. I mean, I don't know, but Deborah always leaving. And I was so just excited to be a part of it because Ross was excited about it. And here's the thing. So while the we're having this conversation, Ross and I are having the conversation in the prison visitation room. Devaroli's meeting with his family. And so he leaves his family and comes and sits with us. And so mm. we're all talking. This is like during like the introduction phase. And then we're going back and forth, back and forth. And then we had another meeting. They all came. It was Devaroli and his sister, and they come. And we're going back and forth. And I remember at one point, you know, I was – Ross said, just get it – get it the get enough words so we can have it because we needed to cover everything that was in the Rolling Stone article. We need to get it published as quick as possible. So I need about 300 pages is what he said. About, about 90,000 words is roughly, roughly 90,000 words. We can publish it, get it published. He was already, he's, he's at that point, he's, well, he wasn't talking to Simon Schuster yet, but he's going back and forth. And I'm like, like, this is not something I want to do, but Deverell is also leaving. Now he's down to like weeks. Mm. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, I don't know if you've read, written a book, but you just don't, nobody writes a book in a month or two. No. Right. I, no, I wrote that crazy. book in three months. I wrote 90,000 words in three months. Now, were all of the scenes, no. Was one third of it? Was twenty five percent? I don't know. There was a little here, a little there. I was twisting this, twisting that, making him sound funny, trimming down the 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 more um, abusive comments that he would make, the more you know, the, just really trying to make him look as decent as a human being as possible. Why not? You thought you couldn't sell it if there was nothing sympathetic about him? No, it wasn't that. It was that I wanted to get it done in time so they could publish it. They wanted to publish it hmm. before – so right now, Todd Phillips had bought the article, the film rights to the article, but he hasn't done anything. Hmm. He hasn't, they, they're in the middle of talking about writing a script. Like there's no competing project. So they're saying we get a book done, we publish it, and now we have a competing project. Hmm. Now that stops or slows down Phillips's um, project or if he moves forward it gives them the right to sue him because uh, now listen how what they did yeah. listen to what they did though what they did was this so R ross is telling me this he's just telling me get it done get it done get it done i'm like okay okay i'll get it done i'll get it done i'll get it done and he's saying it's based on like people don't realize like uh, books that this is actually probably 20 years ago there's lots of books that were based on the true story and they fabricated all kinds of stuff catch me if you can was a ton of it was fabricated well we found out that that guy's not even like a real fraud it was a fraud of a fraud fraud of a fraud yeah. but even then the book itself like you know so even but it's based on there's lots of books that were like that they were based on and then that way it gives them a wiggle room so he was saying based on okay you're gonna do based on like what do i care like i just want to be a part of this whole thing um so and it also it's a memoir this mm. is what Deveroli told me. Like to me, I'm saying this is what you know. It's it's him. I'm just helping him write it. So I have a lot of wiggle room to say I don't really didn't really do anything. I didn't really mm. have much to do with that. Mm. That's what he told me. <laughs> it, it, nobody's going to ask me anyway. I'm locked up in prison. Right. 
So it would be like from Ephraim Deborah and Matthew Cox or with Matthew Cox or however you want to put it. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm 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 filling stuff in. I'm making funny jokes. I'm saying stuff, in it, but it still follows the basic timeline. But it also covers everything in that article. The so what happens is because it's very difficult for you to take an article and turn it into a complete movie without fabricating something. There's just not yeah. enough words there. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. Right. So I end up. So this is what Ross is telling me, and they're paying me. You're paying me to do this. So they're paying me. I'm right. And when I say paying me, they're sending me money to get to buy true links so I can type on the computer. So they're not paying me. I'm not making money, but they're sending me money in order to to be able to type it on the computer. So I was able to work on the computer all the time instead of handwrite because it was much faster that way. So we write, we I write, I write, I write. And then eventually one day we're at a meeting and Ross says, um, Devaroli says, what if we can't beat them to the punch? What if we can't get our project done first? Ross says, well, it's not that hard. She's, well, we're, we're, we'll sue him for intel- theft of intellectual property. Mm. And I went, how? And he says, well, if, when there's competing projects, especially a project like this, he goes, it's not that hard to allege that there was – um, that that they they got a hold of the manuscript or they stole the manuscript, and I'm like, but they didn't steal the manuscript. He goes, I, I understand that, but some of what they're going to come up with is definitely going to be covered in our manuscript. He said, and they're using his likeness. Like he starts throwing out all these things that I already know don't really matter because he's a public figure, because he's been arrested, because he's been in articles. So he doesn't have those rights anymore. But he starts saying all this stuff, and I was like. Okay, and I'm kind of bl- thinking, no big deal. I, it's none of my business. Like this is between these two guys. I just need to finish this fucking thing. Mm. And what he ends up saying is, Devaroli says, "Oh, sorry, sorry." Devaroli says, "You think we can sue him successfully?" And Ross goes, "Well, let me let me tell you something." He said, "He said, and I forget how many years ago it was. Ten years earlier. It's about ten years ago." He said, "He goes, did you ever see the?" the reality TV show, The Contender. Mm. And it had a, a boxer in it, which was a famous boxer at the time. And it, um, I forget his name. Can you look up The Contender? Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, it's a boxer. He's a famous boxer too. It's what, a, what it's was, a reality TV uh, show. But about boxing. About boxing. But it's a real boxer. It's like... so Not Sylvester Stallone. No. The Contender TV series, right there. See it? Go down. Yep, hit that. Oh five. Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh, I remember this show. I don't think it was Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, no, I remember Sugar Ray Leonard having some sort of show like this. Was it Sugar Ray Leonard? I think it was, dude. He's been on TV a bunch. Well, I'll say we'll say Sugar Ray Leonard. Anyway, the, the point is this. Um, so what happens is Ross says. Listen, he said, I had a, a project called that he I forget what he called it, right? That he had pit he had gone and he had a um he had an agent that he had told the agent about the project. And he said that he told the agent about it, but it never went anywhere. Well then, like a year later, the contender came out. Hmm. But the same agency also rep- and this is a massive agency in in uh LA. It's like the one of the biggest ones, right? He said they also represented 
um, Sugar Ray Leonard, let's say. I think it was Sugar whoever it was. I, I forget who it was. Um, well, you, it says Sugar Ray Leonard. That doesn't sound familiar. I think it was, thought it was somebody else. But anyway. Either way. Yeah. So he says, yeah, yeah. He says, so he represented Sugar Ray Leonard. Okay. And he goes, um, and it came out. He said, so Ross ended up suing them, saying that his, the literary agent had brought the project to Sugar Ray Leonard, and then they did the project. And it was a very similar project. And they ended up settling with him for a fucking ton of money, mm. a ton of money. And so he had this roadmap. So he's saying, this is this. That was a loose thing. You know, he's like, this, your thing is huge. He's like, like, it's almost impossible, especially if they use your name, which they were going to. Your name, your likeness. We've got a book. Our book came out before your book. You have a little tiny article. You wrote this whole thing. So Dev Rowley says, listen. To Ross, he, he's, he's sitting there like, you're right. Devin Rowley <laughs> loves the idea. And I'm sitting here thinking, I thought we were getting a book deal. Mm. Like, what are you guys doing? So he, Devin Rowley goes, listen, I got a cousin who lives in Los Angeles. He's, he goes, he goes, he's in the, he goes, he, he this is how he said it. He goes, he goes, he, he's in like the industry, right? Like the film industry. He goes, well, he thinks he's in the film industry. He's actually a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts laughing and he goes, but, but, but anyway, uh, so he thinks he's in it. He goes, bro, he knows all kinds of people, all kinds of people. He goes, I'll bet you he can help us with the manuscript. He goes, I bet he can get it to somebody at Warner. And I'm thinking, why would, like, I don't really understand. Mm. So, and, and this probably when someone's listening to this, they still don't understand. So I didn't understand and I'm there. I'm just thinking, write your fuck, write the book, get the book published. You get a piece of a book deal. Maybe these guys option it. I get a piece of the option. Maybe they get it made into a movie or a series. I get a piece of the series. Um, because let's face it, anything that's made that's turned into a film, series, whatever, is all based on some kind of a book. So I'm not even concerned about it, right? Um, well, I leave maybe a month later, I'm talking to Ross on the phone and Ross says, you're not going to believe this. Turns out that Deverolli's cousin knows a guy that is a film, uh, a doc that does documentaries and he's partners with a guy named Shimmy Spear. Shimmy Spear. Shimmy Spira. Spira. Hmm. Shimmy Spira. Shimmy Spira is the son of Steven Spira, one of the presidents of Warner Brothers Studio. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, we're going to ask him if he'd like to see the manuscript. I said, oh, okay. So you think he's going to – he'll he'll talk to his father about it or well, – he's like, well, no. It just – it opens up possibilities. Okay, okay, cool. Well, I'm yeah, yeah, definitely. That sounds good. Right, right. He's like, yeah, no, definitely. Things are working out. I'm like, okay. So he has Shimmy sign an NDA to see the manuscript, just in case he wants to make it into a documentary. Okay. So he gives him the doc, the, the him and his partner the manuscript. They read it. They talk to Ross a couple times on the phone. Eventually, like they, do you want to? Should we make a doc? Do you think you can get a doc made? Do we think we can get a film made? Maybe a series on Netflix? What are you guys thinking? They ask around, they ask around, and finally, 
Shimmy's partner is talking to Ross on the phone, and he says, Shimmy said that Warner Brothers is moving forward with the film. They're rewriting the script that they've written. They're rewriting it because Jonah Hill is going to play Devaroli. And Jonah Hill wants there to be more in the script about Devaroli. So they're rewriting it. And Ross says, how do you know this? And he says, oh, Shimmy, his father is Steven Spira. He's one of the presidents of Warner Brothers. He told him. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Shimmy, his father is the president of Warner Brothers? And he goes, yeah. He goes, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> and he goes, well, it wasn't my place to tell you. I, I, I mean, what does it matter? I never would have given you the manuscript if I'd known that you, were con- you guys were connected to Warner right. Brothers. Shimmy certainly gave the manuscript to his father. And the guy's like, oh, and he goes, I can't believe you've done this. And I had you sign an NDA. And by the way, in the NDA, one of the things it talks about is like third parties. Don't give it to anybody. Is there any reason you shouldn't have this? Is there any reason that you could have a conflict of interest? Is there, is there, is there? So now Ross and Devaroli have a direct link knowing that Warner Brothers had seen the manuscript. Like they can now say, absolutely, we gave it to Shimmy. Shimmy surreptitiously obtained the manuscript for Warner Brothers because that's what it says in the fucking in – his, yeah. in his lawsuit. Now, here's the funny thing about that. So they set up Warner Brothers. We just set up Warner Brothers. What is Warner Brothers going to do now? He's right. The way it looks in, in print – and he's got he's got these phone calls with these guys. He's got like it looks like, and they contacted him because Devaroli's cousin talked to them, and then they contacted Ross. So it, if Devaroli's uh, cousin doesn't get on the stand and say, "Yeah, I told them to call him," he's friends with the yeah. guy anyway. I call him all the time. Yeah. So it really just looks like these guys reached out to him on behalf of probably Shimmy's father. And asked to see the manuscript. Ross said, here's an NDA. Do you have any – is there any conflict of interest? Do you have any reason that you're – no, 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 no. Boom. We got it. We gave it to gave it to my dad. They used it to write – to rewrite the screenplay, which was being rewritten anyway yeah. because of Jonah Hill. Really looks bad. Like they yes. set him up. Here's the funny thing about it is during all of the proceedings, Warner Brothers not one time ever said they didn't see the manuscript. So the truth is they probably did see the manuscript. I don't see how they couldn't have given all that. I Right. Walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a fucking duck. So regardless, here's what happens. So – but Ross is telling me this on the phone. Can you believe that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> but before you even gave it to him, you knew he was the son of Steven Spira. Like you already knew that. Like, but he's saying it to me like it had been months. Yeah, he's trying to like have deniability. Right. But it's like, first of all, you said it on a phone that's recorded. <laughs> and two, now you're saying this again on the phones, but it's like, who are you talking to? Like, like I really think he forgot that he told me. 
Mm. Does that make sense? Like yes. we, we talked a lot and we back and forth. And I think he might have casually mentioned it and just forgot. Anyway, I was like, uh, and I didn't even say anything, bro. Like I didn't get, I'm not going to get an argument. I'm not going to say, what are you talking about, bro? Like I'm not, I was like, oh, okay, well, what does that mean? He said, yeah, bro, we're suing him. And all I can think of is this guy was representing me on my book. He's not even pitching my book now, by the way. He was going to represent, he was going to try and go to Simon Schuster. Do the, and he, he had talked to Simon Schuster by this point about Devaroli's book and my book. But now he's like completely just discarded that. Not even interested in it. He's my book's been put on the back burner. Months and months and months have gone by. Yeah, you're also and it's unfortunate, but you're sitting in prison. So Nothing I can do. Yeah, there's there's you're so limited. You have no leverage. Right. So I I I you know then Devaroli kind of disappears. Right. Like he Devaroli. By the way, he he had left by now. You know, he left and went yeah, to Miami. Yeah, his sentence was only like a couple years. Right. Yeah, it was like six six years. But, but he didn't do all six, right? No, no. He did like four, three okay. or four. And just for people, I mean, a lot of people have seen the movie War Dogs. But what's interesting about that case, I mean, Danny did an amazing podcast with David Packhouse, the other right. guy. They kind like Ephraim is clearly an awful guy. Like right. that's covered. I mean, that guy's always going to commit some sort of crime. But I'm forgetting the details right now. I wish I could remember that podcast more fresh. But – they kind of got a little fucked. Like they didn't do. Oh no! They they the two of them, Packhouse and Devaroli, definitely got screwed over. Yeah, because they didn't. I'm not without looking at the laws here. They, they didn't really do anything that their competitors weren't doing as well. It just looked weird because they were two, you know, sub twenty year old guys pulling it off. Yes. Yeah. It looked very odd. You're two 21, 22 year old kids that are that are shipping, you know, tens of millions of dollars of ammunition across the country and doing it well. The problem was that it was Chinese ammunition. Well, not all of it, very, very, very little of it, actually. But at some but point, some of it, yeah. some point it ended up being Chinese ammunition. That'll do it. And because Devaroli reached out to the army and said, can I ship this? And they said no. And he continued to ship it. Um, He got in trouble. Had he said nothing and just done it? Because he'd already been doing it. Yeah. And keep in mind, too, they're they're using all the ammo. Like the army doesn't give a crap about this being Chinese ammunition. We need it. So they used it, and then they kind of semi-covered it up. You know, Devaroli says they wasn't covered up. He's like, we, all, we were repackaging it because it was in these heavy crates, and we packaged it in plastic bags because the fuel was so fucking expensive. We were already doing that before we even were told mm. not to ship it at all. He's like, but they used all of that, and if we went to trial, they were going to say that we did of course. this. So he of course. he really got screwed. Like, you know, like, you can't arrest someone because they're a scoundrel. So as, as a scoundrel, he is a scoundrel, but he didn't deserve to go to jail. Second thing he did was when they were both out on – Home confinement. They, I'm sorry. They were both out on pretrial release, and they had like ankle monitors on or whatever. No, they didn't even have ankle monitors on. They were just on like probation, like while you're waiting to be sentenced. The ATF convinced Devaroli to leave the jurisdiction and then actually handed him a gun. Like handed him a gun. Like so they say, hey. Wait, what? So the ATF said – Listen, they, they end up having a manufacturer contact Devaroli, and Devaroli was was going to be importing these things that were called like a 
I forget the name of it, but I'm, I'm going to make up a name. Like let's call it a, a, a mega pack, right? So it's basically like a, um, it, it's it's a um, oh my god, a clip. It's a clip for like a nine millimeter that that funnels bullets into the gun. So mm. if you pull the trigger, it's like, I mean, it just starts firing, right? Yeah. Like it's a, and there's a name for it. It's like a an alpha clip or a mega clip or something. Well. The the patent had expired, and Deverly had picked up the patent and had a a, a South Korean country, a South Korean manufacturer that was going to manufacture them. So there was Knight Industries went to Deverly and said, "We're interested in in doing this with you." And so he's excited, but really it was the ATF agent mm. who had gone to Deverly said said that Knight will do this and convinces Deverly to leave the jurisdiction. He goes, "Look, we're going to test it." We're going to test the clip. Oh, it's I think it's called a beta clip. Beta, B-E-T-A. So he says, we're going to – and all they wanted to do was like, we're going to manufacture it in South Korea. We just want you to stamp it, Knight, because Knight Industries is huge, right? Oh, one of these? Yes. Son of a – whoa. Yeah. It's a serious clip. Yeah, I, I've never seen that before. Yeah, we'll you've put seen, that in the corner you've, of the you've, screen. You've actually seen it on um, James Bond. They used one on James Bond on the mo- last movie. I don't. I mean, maybe, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Well, he that didn't. Somebody was firing at him. It's it's an, it's insane, bro. Wow. Right. So, so, but Knight is agreed has agreed to stamp their put their stamp on it. But really, it's all bullshit. It's an ATF agent called him and said, "Look, I want to help get the, you get this done." And he's like, okay. And he, he finds that – keep on, Deverly's on drugs. He's all messed up. So he's susceptible to just not really asking too many questions. What kind of drugs? Just like smoking oh, cocaine, weed no, or – Like coke, co- everything. Everything. He's definitely got a, a, a drug issue at that time. So he ends up saying, let's let's go out there. We're, you know, Knight's ready to do it. They had a meeting. They said, we want to test it. If it tests, great. We'll do it. Deveroli's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Let's do it. They go, they test it. They say, it's great. Why don't you come out? We'll fire. We're going to shoot off a couple thousand rounds. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have something to eat and we're going to sign the contract. So Deveroli's like, yeah, bro, I can't come out. I can't do that. I can't fire the, I can't fire. I can't bring a gun. I can't fire anything. He goes, don't worry about it. Just come out, bring something. Come on, man. Bring something. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm on probation. Like he's very open about it. Mm. The guy says, he's been in the newspaper. Like they've already had Senate hearings on him and everything. Like he's just trying to stay out of prison. Like they're they've got it negotiated down where they're going to get probation. I mean, they're going to get house arrest. And but the ATF's not happy about it. This agent. So the agent says, "Just come out. Don't worry about it. Just come out." So Deveroli comes out. Wait, what? Deveroli comes out. They get there. They meet in a parking lot, and the agent says, "Bro, did you?" He goes – he opens his trunk. He said, hey, check out what I brought. I brought this. I brought that. He's, what would you bring in? Deverly goes, bro, I told you I can't bring anything. I'm not bringing anything. And Deverly goes, OK. Um, this is horrible entrapment. Oh, it's it's extreme entrapment. This is crazy. I wish Jim was still here to hear this one. So they they hand him the guns. And at one point, the guy says – the guy brings out all the guns and he hands – he and so Deveroli De said, I'm just standing there. And the guy takes a, a, a nine millimeter and slaps it right in his hand. And he said, I just naturally grabbed it. Like I didn't want to drop it. What am I going to do, drop it? He, so I grab it and I'm like, fuck, oh, now I'm holding the gun. He goes, and I'm like <sighs> – he goes, and he actually cocks the gun. Oh, and, and he goes man. through the whole thing. He cocks it. Well, it's, it's empty. He cocks it. He does the whole check thing. Boom, 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 boom. He's yeah, it's a nice piece, bro. 
And he goes, yeah, man. You, he said, hey, do me a favor. And Deverell actually says, you know, he goes, once a gun runner, always a gun runner. And he kind of jokes around <laughs> with the guy and the guy's like, right, right. There's the title. Yeah. And then he takes the gun, puts it down and says, hey, look, man, I brought all the weapons. Can you at least go buy the ammo? There's a Walmart up the street. He goes, <sighs> he goes, yeah, I'll go buy the ammo. So he, I can't buy the, he even tells him, I can't buy it, but I'll have one of my guys buy it. And Deveroli thinking, I'm okay if I don't buy it. Well, Take, that wasn't smart. So the guy, he and his buddy drive down the street. His employee drives down the street. He gives him $1,000 and says, go buy $1,000. Well, that's just direction. You just bought the money. Yes. You just bought it. He buys it's like it. like saying, go kill that guy. No, I didn't have anything to do with it. Right. He buys the ammo. They throw it back in the trunk. They're driving back to the parking lot. Boom, they get pulled over. They get yanked out of the car. They get arrested. That's it. So as oh a result of that, he had a plea agreement that is now validated. So instead of getting house arrest, he gets six years. Whew. Right. So Pacquiao's, And then he meets Matthew Beacock. Right. He meets me in prison. I write the book. But he gets out. He goes to Miami. And then after a year, he gets out. So De- so Deveroli left prison. Never talked to me again. <laughs> when he left, by the way, he gave me a big bear hug, tears in his eyes, and said, you know me better than my own family. Tears in his tears eyes? Tears in his eyes. And I was thinking – What's going on? Like he's really psycho. Like, and he, and he goes, he goes. I want to let you know something, bro. And keep in mind, I hadn't, I didn't have my my sentence hadn't been cut yet, so I, my out date is twenty thirty. Mm. He goes, I'm gonna be here for you. I don't fuck my friends. I'm gonna be here for you. He said, and I'm gonna be standing at the gate when you get out of here. And I said, <laughs> and I said, I hope so, bro. I hope so. And he said, Oh, you watch. Gives me a bear, big bear hug. Never talk to that cocksucker again. Until the strip club. Until the strip club, right. The lawsuit. So right. he leaves. You had I'm, to sue him to talk to him. I'm talking to, yeah, all I'm doing is talking to the literary agent, who, by the way, who was my literary agent representing me on my book that I was finishing up that has now put my liter- my book to the side to go for Deveroli's book. And mine's just a side note mm. and, and has been postponed for a year now. At this point – the literary agent stops talking to me. And I'm like, something's going. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and you know what the truth is? It's like they didn't, they, they, as far as I knew, they didn't have a book deal. Like they don't have a book deal. They, they're, they're shopping this thing. They're now they're all he could talk about is suing, suing, suing. And what's funny is I wrote an email. I wrote a letter to Deveroli and I wrote on, I wrote an email to, Roth. What year are we in now? Because the movie came out, I want to say 2016. Does that this sound is right? Probably, yeah, this is probably right? four, yeah. 14, 14. So the movie's not or out f- yet. 50, maybe 50. When does the movie come out? 2016. Okay. So this is probably, this is probably, let's say 14 or 15. Okay. And so I sent Deveroli a letter that said, hey, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, you guys are running around trying to sue Warner Brothers for something that they didn't do. They haven't done anything wrong. You need to be focused on getting a book deal. Um, I write a letter to an email to Raw saying the same type of thing. I said, first of all, please don't mention to me anything about like the lawsuit of Deveroli anymore. I said, I'm so disgusted by the fact that my project has been thrown to the side. Like, he had all kinds of big promises to me. I said, because now you and Deveroli have decided to start suing you know, you feel like suing is more lucrative than actually making an attempt to get a book deal and get your own deal. Like I'd rather steal from you 
then do the work myself, right? Mm. And listen, by this point, like I've had an epiphany, right? Like I'm not going to be involved in any fraud. I've got a legitimate thing going on. I want to write stories. I want to get out. I want to do a podcast. I want to publish books. I want to get movies made. I want to option stories. That's what I want to do. And you've taken that and perverted it into a scam. You're now suing – you set somebody up with a manuscript that he never wanted and you knew damn well you tried to get it to him. You made an you an extreme effort to get it in this guy's hands so you could say Warner Brothers used it. Whether they did or not, I don't know. Pretty bold of them to try to scam an ex-scammer. I mean shit. Well, here's the thing. I've got – my outdate's 2030. Yeah, but they're doing it as if you're not going to like – it seems to me from the right. from the way you're saying it as if what can you're I not going to pick up on it. But what can I do? You can't do much, but right. I'm saying like they're playing it like you're not – you as, know what I mean? First of all, Deborah Rowley absolutely would tell you, oh, dude's in prison. He can't do shit. Like you don't understand, Ross. Yeah. He cannot do anything. Nobody yeah. helps this guy. He's got an 80-year-old mother. He's got like his dad's dead. His his mother's in her 80s. He's his ex-wife who talks to him on the phone. She's got three or four kids. She's not. She can't help him. Like his sister doesn't want to help. Nobody's going to help this guy. He nothing he can do. So, okay, that's fine. So I'm sitting there, and 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 so they basically just stop talking to me. So I'm sitting there one day, and do you know what Miami Drive? You know what Miami Drive is? It's a magazine. It's like a big glossy magazine. In Maybe. Miami. I, you ever heard know. of that? Miami Drive? No. So it's a it's a it's a celebrity Miami magazine. Okay. Oh, oh Ocean Drive. I'm sorry. It's Ocean, called Ocean oh, Drive. Oh, it's named after the after the road. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Ocean Drive. I don't know if I've seen that before. Yeah, it's a huge magazine too, right? Interesting. So here's okay. what's funny. One day I'm sitting there with Pete, my buddy Pete. We're sitting at the at this area that they call Stonehenge, right? It's got a bunch of benches around and some it's all <laughs> con, it's all concrete. Yeah, it's in a big circle. <laughs> so we're sitting there one day and all of a sudden this guy comes up and he goes, Hey Cox. And I go, What's up? And I said, Yeah, what's up? His name's uh Caroni. Caroni comes up, he goes, Hey Cox, and I go, What's up? Is you making any money on that on that Devaroli book? And I went, No, they haven't published it yet. I said, They never found a publisher. And he goes, What? fuck you talking and about and he drops oceans drive down and there's a picture of Devaroli with holding the book with about 50 or 60 books piled up behind it my name very clear on the book your name's on it of course my book it's Ephraim Devaroli and Matt Cox and he's holding it he's at the Miami Book Fair signing books and I went I jump up, I'm flipped out, I can't fucking believe it. I call Ross, Ross answers the phone, what's going Hey, You know, I don't scream at you. I'm not in a position to be like, you piece Fuck of it. shit. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? You have to be like, hey, bro, what's going on? Oh, hey, what's going on? How's it going? Oh, yeah. Did you publish that book? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to send you one. I'll send you one. You know, okay. Why is my name? Well, here's the thing. No, my name's they on it. They put your name on it. So you now have something to point to. Like, that's me. But, but he didn't put based on which really bothered me it was and not only that you know what he played up the real story from the real war dog the real the real the true story the true and i'm thinking there's a good chunk of that book that's fabricated 
Not only that, this guy is like, I get it if you want to say, wow. okay, well, I kind of made him uh, look the real story, you know, and he makes a big effort about the real this and the real that. Wow. Isn't it funny too? Look, you pull it up and look what's right above it. War dogs. Yep. Why does it say paperback $1,600? Because that's what Deverly sells them for. Come on. He's got signed copies. You can't get it anywhere else. And then it's Kindle. Kindle or that. Yeah, it's Kindle for $9 or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sky I mean, I read on Kindle, so. <laughs> well. Easy enough. <laughs> my, my thing is I'll bet you if you send him 1600 bucks, you only got a 50% chance of getting a book. So <laughs> he, um, so, so what'd you do? Um, is you're sitting in prison. Uh, I mean, I talked to Pete. Pete goes and he goes, I'm going to check this out. So Pete goes and comes back and he says, I had my mom pull the docket sheet and he said, they're suing. They filed a like he Against Warner Brothers. Yeah. Warner, Todd, Phil, everybody across the board. And so I, what, what happens is we go to Amadeo. Of course, the Godfather. We go to the, the schizo father. We go to the Godfather, <laughs> and he says, "Well, I'm not going to let this happen. This is just ridiculous." Thing. I'll have that from Devroli bowing down yes, before me. <laughs> exactly. So he, you know, directs Pete, my buddy Pete, to help write this, you know, thing, and the 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 judge. They talked to the judge a bunch of times. Um. So they figure out a strategy and then we sue we sue um Warner Brothers. We actually don't sue Warner Brothers. We we file what's called an injunction not an injunction a um intervention. Like we try and intervene in their lawsuit cuz they're already suing Warner and we're intervening saying well we're we want our interest to be protected. Mm. And I never allege, I just kind of allege that I'm the true owner of the book. So we go back and forth, back and forth over the next few months. Um, and they don't ba- – like here's the thing about Deveroli. Like he's – he would rather spend, you know, $500,000 to try and fuck you out of 50. Mm. You know, like he could have come to me and said, I'll give you 50 grand. He could have come to me and give me twenty grand, twenty thousand dollars to me when I walked out of prison would have been a game changer. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he's like that? It's, it's a men- it's some kind of mental issue. Like you, you understand? It, and it's funny too because Pacquiao's will say the same thing. He genuinely didn't feel good about a deal unless he felt like you were getting screwed over. So it was more important that you lost. Yes, that's bizarre. It is bizarre. It's it's. Real a personality defect, absolutely, and and you know he's a funny guy. Like there were times like he was really funny. There, he could he had those moments. Does he laugh like Jonah Hill? No, I'm like, I no, was no. gonna say no. They don't. He, that, that that's completely totally, fabricated. Yeah, um, it was good though. You know, so <laughs> what's what's funny about that laugh? Well, you know, what's funny about Jonah Hill is Jonah Hill says he reached out to Deborah Oli several times and he was he just wouldn't respond and he just wasn't interested. He never reached out to Deborah Oli one time. Jonah Hill said he reached out to him? He says it multiple times. You know, I tried to reach out to him. How do we, we know he didn't try to reach he, out to him? I mean, Deveroli and Ross were like, he's never reached out. And Deveroli would have said, yeah, he Ross, he wrote me. He 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 would have told him. He just 
Didn't. You sure? I mean, I feel pretty confident that's true, okay. like raw at the very least. Um, keep in mind too that raw that Jonah Hill, um, Miles Teller, uh, Todd Phillips. There's video of all of them saying, "What I like about this story is it's the true story. It's the real story. This really happened. This really." And I'll get to that. You'll see why that's so oh such a weird thing mm. to say. So we're suing back and forth, like we're su- we're suing or we're filing motions back and forth, back and forth. And I'm sitting there like, like if this guy had come to me and offered me 20 grand, like, but in his mind, he's getting out in 2030. I don't have to fucking even deal with this. I, I can wear this guy down. How he, what, what Deveroli knows is this, is that if at some point we get to a point where the judge says we have to have a hearing, I can't go. Yeah. It's over. It's nearly impossible to fight a case from inside, a civil case from inside of a federal prison. They don't want to release you. It's up to the warden. Wardens don't release you. They don't let you go. They don't pay for you to go. They don't – nothing. Cross the board, I'm not going. And he knows that. I just get to a point. If we get to that point, it's over. He can't show up. It, it's it's a completely – and, and keep in mind too, the, the, the judge doesn't want to deal with this. No judge wants to deal with this. This guy's in prison. This but, is a pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah. He's doing it pro se. Yeah. Didn't even have a lawyer. Yeah. So uh, we go back and forth, back and forth. Well, at one point, I'm telling Ross, like I'm telling Ross, I, this is before we had filed. I asked him multiple times, come see me because I'm going to do something that's going to be a real problem for you. Mm. It is imperative that you come to see me. I am telling you this is absolutely important. And I was going to just explain to him, you need to you need to include me in the lawsuit or you need to give me a settlement. I'll take 20 grand. Like I'll take something. And, uh, but he never does. He says he's going to a couple times and he'll try and he'll this and he just doesn't because he knows he doesn't matter. He doesn't want to deal with me. Anymore. He's got what he wants. Um, And so anyway, we file the lawsuit. He's furious. It goes back and forth, back and forth. Bottom line is we we finally get to a point where Pete's like – Pete's like, I don't know. you know, We don't know what else to do. And at that point, the movie comes out. And the movie is vastly – keep in mind the whole time their lawsuit was filed before the movie came out. And though it's been shot, it just hasn't been released. So it's not changing. Mm. So you're good. This is what it is. It's filed for release. They're releasing it no matter what. So they come out and say, boom. Shimmy gave it to his father. The whole thing, they lay it out solid. Then they lay out that it's all been stolen. Everything was stolen. What do you mean? That they stole the, the manuscript and they used the manuscript to write the write the uh, the story. That they stole. The- oh, oh, I, I missed you for a second. I thought you were talking about the other guys. Go no, ahead. No. Yeah, they yeah. stole it. That he didn't use. He did not use the article in in Rolling Stone. That they that it didn't have enough, and Jonah Hill wasn't happy. So because Jonah Hill wasn't happy and wanted them to rewrite the article, uh, the the um, the screenplay, they had to use the manuscript because it had more material, mm. and it had more about more that Packhouse didn't know, and their hope was. That when the movie came out, some of the scenes they would be able to use. They'd be able to say that was taken from the manuscript because a lot of them are overlaying – they're overlapping scenes or expanded or funny or – so some of them are going to be similar. Mm. And so um, it comes out and they look at it and they watch it and they realize it's nothing like the book. 
not only is it nothing like the book, it's nothing like the article. The only similarities is two stoner kids started selling arms and or ammunition to the federal government, and it ended up being Chinese, and they got in trouble, and they went to jail. That's it. The similarity, like all the things that people watch that movie and go, man, that was great. I love it when when they grab Pacquiao's and they take and they stick the gun to his head. They bring him in the square and they stick the fucking set the gun in his head and they're going to shoot him. And that never happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it when uh, to, the guy, real guy's real name is Tumay, but uh, whatever his name is in the movie, um, the one played by Bradley Cooper. I love how at the end of the movie, he gave him all that money. He never gave him any money. Uh, I loved it how they got matching Porsches and they drive, They never drove matching Porsches. Mm. I love it when Pacquiao's, uh gets the girl and he's got the penthouse. He never all had a penthouse. Stuff. He never not only had a penthouse, he 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 had a shitty fucking apartment. I mean, this is what Hollywood does, though. That, right. You know, they shimmy right. everything. Up. I love it when Devin Rowley, those, those drug dealers rip him off and he pulls the gun out and shoots the gun. That never happened. I love it. Like, I can go on and on and on. Like, 90% of the movie's gone. It, or it is fictitious. I love it when they drive through the uh, the triangle of death and they're being shot at. <laughs> Dev Rowley never went to uh, Iraq. He never – there was no triangle of death. I love it when – It looks good in the movie. Right. Though. See what I'm saying? Let's go on and on. None of it. There were two stoner kids that were selling drugs. That's it. So um, – Selling weapons. No, they were selling uh, – they, they did sell weapons, but mostly it was ammunition. Right. Did I say drugs? Yeah, you said drugs. I'm sorry, man. It's getting late. No, it's so, all good. Uh, he, that we're selling uh, weapons and mostly ammunition is what the, it's really about, ammunition. Right. So things used on the field of battle. Right. So what ends up happening is Ross's whole website or his whole thing is like the case is fucked, right? He's like, damn, it's fucked. Like, I'm fucked because we have alleged that they stole it and used our material. And they didn't use our material. They didn't just use our material. They didn't use they didn't use um, the material in Rolling Stones magazine. Mm. So then Ross, Ross is a sharp guy. He kicks back and he goes, the Lanham Act. The Lanham Act says that you are not allowed to, to advertise a product. If you know the product is false, you cannot falsely advertise something to make sales. And they absolutely pushed that movie as the true story, the real story. This really happened. Jonah Hill says, what I love about this movie is these two guys are real guys and these things really happened. Todd Phillips, what's great about that is we took as much as we could directly from the article – what? And we took it and, you know, it's amazing God, because it man. really happened. Miles Davis, same thing. Listen, it's over and over. Bradley Cooper. What's great about this movie is that these are real guys that this happened to. These are real things that happen. You could pull all that off of YouTube. All these guys are saying it. It's hilarious. So they say all of that knowing that you fabricated it. Why did you fabricate it? Because you knew there was a lawsuit. You knew that Shimmy had seen the book. You knew you'd seen it, and you knew Devaroli was going to sue, so you completely fabricated the movie. So it would be – there'd be – those lawyers at, at Warner Brothers are not idiots. But neither is Ross. So Ross says, look, Lamham Act. Not only did they falsely advertise the movie, they damaged our ability for us to promote and sell our book, which is yes. the true story. Yes. If it was true. 
Is the book but, true? But on, but on their end, they're just – they're only looking out for their own pockets. But technically, they're right. Forget what whether their story is true or not. They're right about what Warner Brothers is doing. Yes. Yeah. Warner Brothers damaged their ability to market their product by putting out a fake narrative <laughs> and saying it's true. So it gets complicated, right? Yes. But – so How much did they sue them for? Um – like a hundred and something. They, they basically said they wanted all the profit, which oh. ended up being like $200 million. <laughs> so, yeah. So they're suing for, it wasn't 200 million. Then it was like a hundred and 140 million. Now it's over 200 million. Mm. Uh, so they're suing. They want, they want all this stuff. They're suing and they keep pushing that our book is the real story. It's the real story. It's the real story. And I'm saying, what's going on, fellas? What about me? And they're saying, Psh, Mr. Cox doesn't have a leg to stay in on. It's not – he doesn't own the copyright. He is just a work for hire. He's in prison. He's a con man. And so I go and I take Stranger Danger and I take the pages from Stranger Danger and I compare and look. Pages 112 through 120. Look, and here is where it came from, Stranger Danger. And I I only do maybe six or eight comparisons. And I have them and I tell – and I so I tell uh, Pete, Pete – Pete's like – I'm like, what are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. Like they're, they're going to wear us down. They this. Like he's like the only thing we can do is we can tell Warner Brothers – about what's ha- about what's happening, Ooh. and he goes. If we tell Warner Brothers, he goes, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because he's like, we can still try and file under the Landham Act, but we really are shooting ourselves in the foot. He's like, because we have the same argument that they have and right now. It's a good argument, but we'll be shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, no, we don't have the land. We don't have the Lamb Act. We's like, we have nothing. We. That's what I'm sorry. We, we basically have nothing because the truth of the matter is, the moment we say, look, the book part of. You know, now I'm, of course, making it sound like the whole book's fabricated, practically the whole book. The truth is it's not that much. But but there's some things. There are some things, and it's certainly not what they're saying. And Devaroli knows it's fake because he wrote the book, right? So he knows these are lies. So he's saying it's absolutely 100% true. It's crazy, though, that that book was out before the movie came out, long before, because I think the movie came out later that year. I might be wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, so no, the book's out. The book was out January 2016, right, right? right? So it's crazy that these guys on the press tour were saying everything's true when there's literally a book that can point to written by the guy that shows entirely different stories that weren't told. So what did you – and then you can go to the Rolling Stone article that's open source and you can see a lot of the stuff in the movie is not from there. That doesn't – Yeah, but you understand that, that that this is Hollywood and they know that people are sheep. Yeah, They know true. they can lie. They can look at you straight in the face and lie. And if they say it enough – You'll the, believe it. Yeah. Right. I, I think it was uh, Hitler who said like uh, – you know, he was a big believer in the big lie, right? It was him or Goebbels who basically said if you say something – no matter how outrageous, Repetition. you yeah. say it repeatedly enough and loud enough, eventually it will be true. And if you win, nobody will ever ask you if it's true. Yeah. Right? So, you Just know. Like, and similar, psych- right, right. similar psychological thing. Right. You hurt a lot of people. Yes, you, exactly. What? You hurt a lot of people. You keep saying and you're like, okay, it I guess I did. Eventually breaks me down. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. right. So, yeah. So what, what happens is, uh, so Pete's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm thinking it's over. And I'm like, you know what? Like, and my fear is, so that by the way, they they schedule a they 
they end up scheduling a mediation. So there, so Warner Brothers is saying we want to mediate with with Ross and Devaroli. They want to settle. Hmm. And Pete's like, I don't know what to do. Like, what are we gonna do? And Dever, we go to De- we go to um, uh, Frank, and Frank is like, you know, we tell Frank what we're gonna do, and he's like, you, if you want to do that, that's fine. You know, um, keep in mind I've got a ton of time left. Like, it, it's a it's a bad spot. So he says it's up to you guys, and then we make the decision that we're going to go ahead and file a motion where we say that. I'm the actual owner of the book and that most of the book has been fabricated Mm. and that they don't have a a prayer. We file that just before the media – I'm sorry, the day before the mediation, it gets filed. They cancel the mediation because Warner Brothers – and within a month or so, Warner Brothers files something that says, we believe that Cox may be the real owner of the manuscript. We believe that it's fabricated. Mm. We want to depose Cox. So now they want to use you to get out of there. Yes. Yeah. So this goes back and forth, back and forth several times. And Pete – I remember Pete's like, you know, man, they're they're, they're trying to depose me. They're trying to get um, a discovery from me. And so Pete says – you know what we ought to do? We ought to get Devaroli's lawyer fired. We, we, we should get just get his lawyer taken off the case. That'll give us some time. Because mm. by that point, I'd gotten my sentence reduced once. So now I'm, I've, and I, we already know that I'm working on another one. He's like, we need to drag this out until we can get <laughs> you out of prison. He goes, a good way to do that is get his lawyer fired. I go, how do we do that? And he goes, let's take examples from the two books. Send it to his lawyer. He goes, because I'm pretty sure that Devaroli and Ross have lied to their lawyers. And once their lawyer sees that they've lied to them, they have to recuse themselves. They can't continue to say that these guys stole and that it's the real story and it's completely true if they know for a fact it's not true. Mm. Keep in mind, my my the Stranger Danger manuscript that I have was printed out on a printer at Coleman – and every page has my full name and date and of date. date and time and the timestamp and everything. Whoa. I have no access to a regular printer. I can't cut and paste it. I can't do anything. I'm in prison. Even with the fine arts degree. Nothing I can't can do. Can't use it in there. And and Devaroli, when he sees it, knows it was printed. And everybody, every staff member would say, Absolutely, there's no way for him to alter that. It's printed. And it's beat to shit. So we make the copies, we send it to his lawyer. Boom. The next day he's uh, uh next he's day. Out. He quits. (laughs) He gets another lawyer. I forget how we got the second lawyer fired. We get two lawyers fired. Over how long? Um, Like a year? Yeah, within a year. Within about six months, really. He gets another lawyer. Boom, we get him fired. Um, Then Devaroli files a lawsuit against like all kinds of people like Apple and all these places that have like the – the um the str- they're streaming it. He so- su- sues all of them. So we then notify all of them what's happening. <laughs> this guy, by the way, at this point, I'm now on the email system with Devaroli's new lawyer, and he's begging to come see me so he can make a settlement, uh, a- an offer. I'll bet. And I'm just trying to get out of prison at this point. Like I want to get out so I can get a lawyer and sue. Um. So we're going back and forth, back and forth. So they schedule another mediation. 
They go to the mediation. There's nothing we can do about it. They have the mediation. We don't really know what happened. The next day, or I'm sorry, not the next day. Yeah, the day after that, day after the media. No, it was the next day, the next day. Next day, I get an email from my niece, and she says, and keep in mind, Ross, I knew Ross and got Ross as a literary agent because he was friends with my brother-in-law, who's a lawyer, mm. who had represented Ross at one point. And so I get a, and my niece works at the law firm. So does my brother, my brother, not my brother-in-law, but my brother-in-law and my brother. So my niece sends me an email and says, Uncle Matt, uh, Uncle Mark wanted to let my brother, wanted to let you know Ross Reback had a heart attack last night. We don't know much, much, but he wanted to let you know that he had a heart attack and he died. So about a couple days later, we find out that maybe – a week later, we find out that Devaroli and Warner Brothers both remove – they with, withdraw their lawsuits and close it out. That's it. It's over. It's done. We go to Frank and say, Frank, they, they withdrew their lawsuit. They didn't – and Frank looks at it and Frank goes, oh, they settled. And we go, settled? How would they have settled? Well, that's what they do. They put you pull the lawsuit. It means and there's an out of court settle, right? Yeah. Out of court settlement, He's which is kind of a fucked up thing because then it can make it look like you lost in the future, depending right. on which side you're on. So you know, he says that he's like they're doing that so that you don't know that there's a settlement. So you think that Ross died, and they and that's it. They settled. They, Ross died, and the Devaroli dropped the lawsuit. So I wait about a week, and I call my sister, and I say, "Hey, Helen, what's going on?" And she goes, what's going on? And I said, uh, how are you doing? Because I needed to get – I needed to serve everybody in the lawsuit. Right? I was going to refile my lawsuit, um, and I needed – and I was going to refile against Devaroli and Warner to say I knew there was a settlement. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I forget what yeah. we were going to say. I don't know because Frank and Pete were handling that. So whatever it was, I needed a, somebody, a process server. So I call Helen and say, hey, I need a process server. She goes, okay, I'll get you one. Uh, I said, okay, cool. She goes, I'll get you the name of it. I said, okay, cool. And she said, um, hey, I said, uh, did you, I said, hey, did you ever find out what happened with uh, Ross? She goes, yeah, he died of a heart attack. I said, oh, okay. And, and she went, yeah. She said, um, we went to the funeral. I said, you did? She goes, yeah. And I went, oh, how was that? And she said, uh, it was good. It was good. She said, you know, the nice thing, we talked to his wife. You know, and um, she said it was really, really nice because um, keep in mind, we don't know if there's a lawsuit. Like they're saying it like we think they settled. I'm sorry. We don't know if there's a settlement. We think they settled, but we don't really know. And so my sister says uh, his wife said, you know, it was really he had a really good day that day. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, he had like a business deal, like a, uh, a mediation set up, and he ended up getting a really big settlement from a, a company out in California. And they settled the case, and he got a really big settlement. And so, you know, he went to bed that night feeling really good, and he had a really good last day. So that was nice. You're that like was nice. Really big, really big company in California, huh? Thank you, Helen. <laughs> now, keep in mind, she, 
she knows what's going on. Yeah. You know, and I was yeah, like, yeah. thank you. She's okay. And I, all right, I hang out the phone. I go out and I tell Frank, Frank, Pete. <laughs> and they're like, what am I? And Frank's like, yep, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. I know it. Um, so by this point, I think I got my sentence reduced again. And now they're just trying to delay. Um, and so we're just delaying as long as we can to try and get me out of out of jail. We Deborah Rowley ends up getting another lawyer, and I end up getting out of I, I end up getting out of prison and getting going to halfway house. Like we literally like we're we're desperately fighting to try and get this thing delayed, and we're going back and forth with the judge, with the fucking with everybody. They want to depose me. They want to like we're so. Um, and then finally, to really throw a monkey wrench in there, we file the full Stranger Danger manuscript. Mm. Or did we just file a – I want to say – now that I think about it, I think we filed a bunch of just excerpts. You have to think these excerpts were like – some of them were just – some were just over the top. Like mm. I mean I literally had pulled like three pages here, a paragraph here, and rewritten it slightly – but not much. And I mean, there's no way. And Deborah Rowley looks so bad in the whole thing. Like he looks bad. Like there's what can he say? Everything he's been saying is a blatant lie now. Yeah, he's you know fucked. It. Right. So we're we're now trying to sue him because we're now trying to say, you owe me money. We know you got a settlement. He by the way, initially they're not saying really anything. But now that we file refile the lawsuit, they now are admitting they got a they they there's a there, there's a law, so there's a settlement. But we need to figure out a way to work this out. They're trying to come see me. I don't want to see them. I want to get out and get a lawyer. So I get out. Eventually, I get out. I go to the halfway house. And you imagine poor Devaroli. He never thought I was getting out of prison. So I get out of prison, and I have I don't have Frank Amadeo. I don't have Pete to help me. I'm sitting in the prison. I'm working a job at a at a gym. And I end up getting – I end up calling to try and find a lawyer. I can't find a lawyer. You know how hard it is to get a property uh, – uh, 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 an um, intellectual property attorney Is to this the guy you? in Philly you ended yes. up getting? Yeah. So I end up getting this guy in Philly who's – I actually get – I first I talk to him, but he doesn't represent me. AJ, his, his – um, one of his associates represents me. Got it. But they're like together, right? They're He's in like media. Yes. Yeah. So they come down, they file a couple lawsuits. We end up going to Miami. We end up having a mediation in Brickle. And that's the first time I saw Devaroli. Um, now, what did he say when you first saw him? Did he even talk to you or is this just all? Yeah, he walks in, he shakes my hand. He goes, Matt, Matt, what's up? He's, what's up? How's it going? He was 45 minutes late. Of course he was. Um, we sit down. We go back and forth, back and forth. They leave the room. You know how the mediation goes. And we go back and forth. We, this went on for an hour or two. And after after a couple hours, it just it just didn't go anywhere. So, you know, um, we leave. I couldn't tell you if it went anywhere anyway. I signed a, a confidentiality agreement. You can't talk about the mediation, what happened. But it, we went back and forth. Nothing happened. We leave. We We go down. We end up getting something to eat. Uh, on on the Miami beach, you know, at that strip. We get something to eat. 
it's like I go see a friend of mine from prison, hang out with him, talk to him, say how how's it going, check on him, and then I'm leaving. It's like eight or nine o'clock at night. And I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving Miami, and I get a phone call from the lawyer AJ, and he says, "Where are you?" I said, ah, "I'm I'm leaving Miami. I'm getting on I'm on the interstate. I'm about twenty minutes away, uh, outside of uh, from where we're. Turn around. What? Turn around. You got to meet us at the Pink Pony." I said, "No, <laughs> no." I'm not doing that. That's a strip club. I'm I not know going. where this is going. No, he's no. I'm telling you, he said Deverell, his lawyer just called. He said he wants to make a deal. Meet us at the Pink Pony. It's the most perfect ending to said, this. Bro, are you serious with this, man? Don't fuck with me. I said, I got a four and a half hour drive all the way home. Like, I'm exhausted already. Keep in mind, too, I had to leave at like four in the morning to get there. I've been yeah. going all day. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Turn around, turn around, turn around. Okay, so I turn around, I go back. It takes me, whatever, 30, 45 minutes to get there. I get there. By the time I get there, the main, the lawyer that I initially called him and AJ, is Francis and AJ, Francis is drunk. Francis has got girls. He's making it rain money. He's slapping them. He's got two or three strippers around him. Devaroli still isn't there. I get there. We wait about an hour, hour and a half. So now it's like 10 o'clock, mm. 10, 1030. and his lawyer show up. They show up. By the time they show up, AJ is dragging Francis out of the bar, and they're walking him to like their car and or a cab or something, and they drive up. They leave. This is, and he says, AJ's like, "Don't talk to him." It's all right. And what's so funny is during the mediation, Devaroli kept saying, "Can I talk to?" Like the mediator was like, "Look, he wants to talk to Matt alone." Deveroli wants to talk to Matt alone without the lawyers. He said they can work it out together. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. And why do you think that wasn't going to happen? Well, first of all, and Francis said, you know why he wants to do that, right? And I said, why? He's going to tell you to fire us and he'll give you cash. Like you're on probation. He'll just give you cash, get rid of us. He said, because he knows if you fire us, he doesn't have to do anything because he knows we will not come back. So if he doesn't give you anything, he knows you're screwed. If you say, hey, wait a minute, I fired you, but he was going to give me money and never did. Like, we're not going to represent you. So he's trying to get rid of us. And I went and, and I said, yeah, I don't want to see him. I have nothing to say to this guy anyway. Keep in mind, I don't care. I didn't care about the money at this point. I'm out of prison. I'm staying. I'm living. I'm not even in the halfway house anymore. Now I'm staying at someone's spare room by this point. Mm. Like, I don't care. I, I couldn't even drive the vehicle I had was such a piece of shit. I couldn't even drive it to Miami. I had to borrow my mother's car. So when they leave, Dev Rowley says, I get up to leave. He goes, just let me talk to you. Just let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. I'm like, what? So we sit down and we sit down and I go, What's up? He's like, um, he's like, Man, how's it going? I go, Man, cut the fucking shit. We're not friends, bro. <laughs> I said, What do you want? And he goes, I just um I want to work this out with you. I said, okay. Yeah, no shit. And I said, okay. I said, you know, what's funny is I said, you could have come and given me 20 or 30 grand in prison. And he goes, do you have any idea how much money you've, you've cost me? <laughs> and I, I can't say how much money I've cost you. Damn. <laughs> the amount of money that my lawsuit cost Warner Brothers? 
And like he was like, and I knew it was expensive. And Frank had the, the estimates, and they all had about the same estimates. And I always thought Frank was like exaggerating, but it, it's insane how much money they had cost. And I know again, they're trying to push you away, so they're spending the money on doing that. Yeah. And Devaroli's fighting me with he, and he's got private lawyers, and it's insane. Oh so, yeah, and and so we're going back and forth, back and forth. Um, and we know Devaroli has money sitting in a sitting somewhere waiting for him, but he can't get to it until he settles with me. So Warner Brothers settled with him and put money here mm. and said, you don't get that money till you settle with Cox. So we're going back and forth, back and forth. And so he's, he's lost all leverage now. <clears throat> A lot yeah, of it. Yes and no. Like I also can't fight forever. Um, And these guys, although they're representing me on contingency, they're not going to do that forever. They're right. not going to trial. Right. They've just spent how much money to fly out here to stay in a nice hotel to, you know. So Devereaux and I go back and forth and we start arguing just back and forth. And he's like, you have no idea how much money you cost me. And I'm like, you're just a piece of shit. I said, let me explain something to you. I said, and, and he, you know, I said, you could have given me 20 grand. That would have changed my fucking life getting out of pro, getting out of, out of prison. I said, you gave me that big bear hug and you your eyes filled up with tears. I said, you're pathetic, bro. Like I just leaned into him, right? And he's like, bro, let's just put this behind us, bro. Like we could be friends again. Like I miss talking to you. I just stop it. I said, listen to me. I said, I know you're a fucking psychopath. Do you understand that? I know that. So I said, you can lie and tell – you're spending your story to all your friends and all these fucking people and your family and everybody that thinks you're a normal person. But I know you're a scumbag. I said, so don't, don't, don't try and sell me. We're friends. We were never friends. You don't have friends. People are like you don't have friends. How do you react to this? I mean, you know, what do you say when someone tells you the truth? You don't like it, but it's yeah, true. Yeah, but could you see that he? Oh, he know. Yeah, but but if you but I you also have to understand that I'm not going to say something to him that's going to make him go, wow. There's no connection. So if you're thinking I'm going to say something to him that's going to make him connect, it's not. Mm. It's not there. So I, I can say whatever. So I'm just spitting the truth. And I said, let, let me – and he goes, Man, what are you getting so upset about? This isn't personal. I said, no, don't you get it? It is personal. That's what you don't understand. I said, I I wanted to write a, a, a true crime book about your life, and you and Ross perverted it. You asked me to fabricate it and pervert it and get it out there. I said I did because I was in such a bad position. I was desperate to be a part of this. And you two fucking pieces of garbage perverted this so that you could sue Warner Brothers for something that they didn't even do. You took what I said, what what I thought was helping me start over my life, and you turned it into a fucking scam. I said you scam these people out of fucking tons of money. Like I can't even say how much money it is, but it's fucking ridiculous how much money he got. So you spent tons of money. You got tons of money on them. And he goes, well, you, you, don't, you don't know. You don't understand. I said, no, let me, let me explain. I said, I do understand. I said, let, well, let me explain to you why. How I said, I'm going to let you know how you know it's not personal, for, how it is personal for me. And he goes, How's the, he, goes, he looked at me. I said, I said, here's the thing. I said, I live in someone's spare room right now. I said, I had to, my car is such a piece of garbage. I had to borrow my mother's car to drive the four and a half hours here because my car would not make it here and back. I said, 
I live, I, I'm paying $600 a month to stay in someone's spare room, you know? I'm, I, I said, but you know what I get to do? I get to write every day. I get to paint. I have friends. I Like I go through this whole thing. Like I've got all of these things. I said, and the money doesn't mean anything to me. I don't even care about the money. I said, I said, I'm, I said, here's where I'm at. I'm will, and, and he goes, he said, these guys are, you're not paying these guys? I said, no, they're on contingency. Mm. I said, let me explain something. How this, I said, this is where I'm at. I'm willing to spend every last fucking dime that these fuckers have <laughs> to make sure you get as little as possible. <laughs> I said, that's where I'm at. So I don't give a fuck. I said, I just want to make sure you get as little as possible. That's all I care about. That's it. I said, I'm not going to get anything. You're you're trying to beat him in his own game. Listen, now. and he well here, and it was true. Like I don't, I didn't care about that at this point. I want this to end, but I want to make sure he gets as little as possible. Mm. Like I was ready to give everything to Francis and, and and AJ. I'm ready to just hand them everything. They've already blown a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like I'm ready to give whatever I get to them. Like I really just don't give a shit. Like luckily, I, that's not what they did. Like they they could have, but they didn't. So he immediately throws out a number. And then I throw out a number and he throws out a number and I throw out a number and we go back and forth, back and forth. And we end up coming up with the – he ends up saying something that was just ridiculous. Like, And I stood up. I said, all right, we're done. And I started walking. And he blurts out a number. And I turn around. And I said, I'm, I said I'll, call, I'll call AJ and Francis tomorrow. I said, I'll have them call you. He said, are we good? I said, we'll see what they say. And I walk off. So they end up – like two days later, they get back to um, where they're from, which is – where is it? Media, Pennsylvania. Yeah. PD, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania. They call me and they're like, hey, so what happened? Actually, I think they might have still been in Miami. And they go, hey, what happened when we – It was the next day. It was the next day. <laughs> it was the next day, I think, because I think they were still in Miami. And they were like, hey, what happened? And I tell them, oh, this is what happened. I told them this and I told them that and I told them this and I told them that. I said – and then I told them, I said, I'm willing to spend every last fucking dime of Francis's money to make sure you get as little as possible. And they – burst out <laughs> he's like i fucking love that shit bro that is hilarious i said and then he came up with this this is the amount we came up with and he goes okay let me let me call his lawyer and we'll see he's are you good i said i mean i'm good and so you know we went back and forth back and forth and you know we saw they wrote up a contract four different ways and we signed the contract and that was it wow so that was it was over that's a full saga right there man I think Alessi here has got to hit the road. I'm, I was just looking at the time. It got late. He's been a fucking trooper all day, killing it. So I want to get him out of here. You've been on fire too, Matt. But this was awesome. Lived up to expectations as always. You're a real – you got a real gift on the mic, man. But your life has been extremely interesting. You've written a lot of books about a lot of cool people you've come into contact with. You wrote your own book, Shark in the Housing Market, right? No. What's it called? Shark in the Housing Pool. Shark in the but Housing Pool. Fine. I was very close. It was very close. Link in description. Listen, you want to hear, you want to read something disturbing? Stranger Danger, bro. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> so, I can't keep looking at this fucking. This is, it's so upsetting. That cover is like freaking me the fuck out. Listen, my wife was like, you can't. You yeah. can't put that. It's Ugh. so disturbing. And I was like, I know. I all like right. it. Link in description to all your books and everything. And uh, until we do it again. All right. All right. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. 
Peace. All right, guys, thank you for watching this video. If you haven't already, please smash that subscribe button, hit that like button on the video, and here's another episode of the podcast that you might want to check out.